The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Before we get started here, I want to tell you about a new feature that's free for everyone. It's our new mailing list. We're going to give you some free content on there a couple of times a week. Ben puts together links from all 15 teams that we do the 15 and 60 on. So he's he's doing that for the East this week. Great stuff, including for some more unheralded writers that you may not know about. We're going to also have some chat transcripts in there regularly. If we do things like position rankings, for example, you can get that in your inbox. And of course, keep up with all of our content, whether that's live games, podcasts, locker room hangouts, So we are upping our amount of free content. Obviously, we still, you get way more through Dunked on Prime, including everything ad-free. But if you're just someone who wants to keep up with what we're doing, go to nateduncannba.com slash free, put your email address in, and you get a couple emails a week from us with some content and also some updates. All right, welcome on 15 and 60, back at it this week, but... A little different style. Going to go for a mailbag on Twitter. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions uh, as well. Going to go in uh, alphabetical order here and begin, Danny, with the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, and the Hawks are 33-27, and 7-3 since the last time we covered them in the 15-60. and 60. They're 11th in net rating at plus 2.1, as strong as expected, 8th in offense, 17th in defense, and 538's Raptor model projects them to finish tied for 4th in the East with 40 wins. They are going to make the playoffs, and unfortunately, we should probably actually start with the with the injury news. Uh, Trey Young had a scary-looking injury, and so the good news is that it, it was kind of on the on the positive side of what it could have been, but the downside is that it is a grade two lateral left ankle sprain. Uh, We haven't heard anything on timeline. Jeff Stotts said that the average missed time for the injury is about two and a half weeks. So I would say, you know, roughly, you know, most of the rest of the regular season for Trey. And we'll see, we'll see how this goes. I mean, on Saturday, or was it Friday? That was Friday was when the Friday. Hawks beat the Heat. When the, when the yes. Hawks beat the Heat without Trey, and that was impressive. Um, so we'll we'll see where it works out. I think this makes it more likely that they fall out of the four five, though not definitive, given that win. Um, well, let's talk about that briefly, and then we can get into some questions. Yeah, well, it's good that they are almost certainly going to avoid the play, and they'll get basically that extra five days or so of rest for Trey Young and. Trey, I think uh, perhaps an underrated part of his statistical regression, although I, I would push back against the idea that he actually is playing worse overall, but the statistical regression one is he's just not making the floaters but number two he just looks a little bit slower he doesn't look to have the same burst that he did last year and he's been in and out of the lineup lately with all all these lower body injuries and now uh, this ankle issue as well 
So maybe the time off will do him some good ultimately, but more likely you would say that because of his this ankle issue that he might be a little bit limited in the playoffs. And he's someone who really is kind of on that knife's edge of needing every little bit of athleticism that he has to be able to compete. But let's get into some of the questions here now and begin with this one from uh, At Last Tree on Earth. Is Clint Capella playing the best season of his career? Feels like he's more essential to Atlanta's system than he ever was for the Rockets. And yeah, I mean, it seems pretty clear to me. Well, 17-18, I think, is the, is the one that you could that you could push back. So 17-18, that was the year the Rockets finished, I think it was sixth in defense, and Capella was really good. Now, I, I would argue that this year is probably better when you think about, as as Last Tree on Earth said, the, the importance of Capella to everything, I think, is higher this year. So I, I want to mention 17-18. I thought that Capella was really, really good that year. But I think that yeah. overall, especially when you look at the, the, the way that the Hawks defend with Capella and without him, and yeah, there's some opponents shooting stuff but it's still you know the fundamentals make a lot of sense with capella out there so yeah i will say this is this is his best season um and we can briefly touch on another well question well, well of- so yeah let, let me add to that i mean yeah 17 18 those first two playoff runs he arguably outplayed carl anthony towns and rudy gobert albeit in different roles than those guys have uh but he really was doing it as part of the switching system and what's really impressed me this year is this is really the first time in his career that he's been a big deterrent at the basket in a more conventional scheme right and you wondered whether he could do that that was something that he struggled with early in his career but now he's been really good then obviously on the offensive glass uh, he's been a monster as well uh what's our next one here well, so we can just briefly touch on this one. Uh, Glenn Gary asked about what does his next contract look like? And Cabela's under contract for two more full seasons after this one. So we're, it's far enough away. I mean, he's going to be in his kind of late 20s at that yeah. point. He, he and, could be extended, though, if they wanted yes, to. could be extended. Off-season. And I think that with Capella, my instinct is that he ends up in that clearly a starting caliber player, but not, you know, the elite guys that you bend over backwards to re- to sign and re-sign. I think that he'll probably end up in that range. But remember that we could be dealing with a very different salary cap climate then. So it's possible if there's optimism that revenues, like by that point, we should have a better idea of the TV deal. So I think it could be a richer, con- like a richer contract than the current, you know, 18 million or so that he's on. But I'm not so certain of that just because 30 can often be a delineation point for centers. And so we'll have to see if that holds. Um, But the other okay, big so, question yeah. I want to do is from, go ahead. No, I, I, if from, you want to uh, do a big one, let's go. We, we have a bunch of these, so I was going to say, so we should try yes. to Yes, uh, so from, from H. Barber 17, who do you view as the core of the Hawks moving forward? Trey, Clint Capella, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, maybe Reddish or, or Herder. Herder is, I could kind of take him or leave him. You know, he's like me in the 30s in our shooting guard rankings, but could, could move up, obviously. Um, you know, Kongwu hasn't showed enough yet, although he's taken some strides. He looked a little bit better, played more when Collins was out uh, and Capella's missed time here and there too. So, I mean, they have kind of why I like their group is that they have a lot of outs in some ways with with some of these secondary guys obviously trey and collins and capella are i mean i think if you if those three guys are healthy you can probably count on being at least a lower end playoff team for the foreseeable future i'm intrigued by i I wish we had more of a sample with hunter if he hadn't missed so much of the second half of the season because the early part of it he is a you know like forwards who can defend and can hit open shots are harder to find as as good as john collins has been like you know it's the idea that i think collins is a better player but hunter is a more valuable player i think that that is a a possibility but i want to see more to know whether this is fully real or not hunter improved so much from his first year that 
often happens, but you always want to kind of see, okay, was this like the regression to the mean potentially for shooting and some of the other stuff. But with Collins, the challenge for me is just if you're committing to a Collins-Capella combo, how far can you go with that? Now, you can make an argument that's farther than they're going to go if you swapped for a maybe a more versatile forward or somebody who could do something else. But I, I don't know. I'm not, I think of Collins as kind of, you know, I think of cores in terms of like kind of inner circle, outer circle. And for, so for me, Trey and probably Capella are inner circle. Hopefully Hunter, if he's this good, will be inner circle. And then outer is probably like Collins, or Collins, Hunter for now, and... They have all these other guys. I, I like that you brought up Herder, and I think Reddish is there too, where it's like, they're not there yet, but you could kind of figure it out. And I, I'm i not exactly sure where, where some of those guys end up, but Atlanta and Schlenk particularly, like they have some hard decisions to come, but the good news is that they don't have to make those right now. Like They'll get at least another year of Cam Reddish before he's extension eligible, and then theoretically another year before restricted free agency. Herder is extension eligible this offseason, but you don't have to extend him if you don't want to. And then the person they're the most sure on is Trey, and he's He's the one who comes up the quickest. All right, I'm going to just roll through a, a few of these quickly. What should the closing lineup be if DeAndre Hunter is healthy? I mean, if he's playing the way he was at the start of the year, probably needs to be in there. Uh, and, you know, between Gallo, Collins, and Capella, whichever two of those three are playing the best, and then probably Bogdan and and Trey it would be my thought. Uh, got this one from uh, Chonky Fire. Based on the Hawks' performance over McMillan, should they hire him to be the full-time coach? I think probably. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. This is, you're getting the good part of McMillan right now, uh, but certainly they've been pretty good with him out there. Uh, who else would be a good choice? I mean, Mike D'Antoni would be fascinating with Trey Young. And then this last one, fully healthy. How are the Celtics better than the Hawks? Please go position for position plus bench and scoring. And we don't have time to do that. But I will say that's not really how it works, right? I mean, you don't say, all right, you will match up point guard. They've got the advantage of point guard. Match up shooting guard. They've got the advantage of shooting guard. Uh, you, you have to look at the entire team holistically. And the way that the Celtics are better than the Hawks is that they just have the capability of being a much better defensive team. And the Hawks with Trey, they don't have really much ability to play different kind of styles the way the Celtics can. And the Celtics have just proven to, they've gotten to the conference finals with this group and, and gotten to the second round. And this Hawks team hasn't even won a playoff series yet. So I think it's pretty fair to say the Celtics are going to be a better team or yeah, and also likely to full be a better strength, team than the Hawks. Full strength includes Kemba Walker. We'll get into this pretty soon. Like Kemba, Kemba can be much better than he's been overall in the season. And let's yeah, go to those. That's true. We haven't, yeah, we haven't seen Fournier yet uh, for them right. either. So okay, like, yeah, both, both teams have been very different. Yeah. Uh, so the Celtics, 32 and 28 as we record this. They're actually playing the Charlotte Hornets as we record. Seven and three since the last 1560. Uh, ninth in net rating, plus 2.3. Equal 12th in offense and defense, which is pretty interesting. Tied with the Hawks for fourth in the East on that Raptor projection, and they are going to make the playoffs. And I, I want to start with that question from um, from Yunan Bar at Yunan Bar. Uh, Kemba really looks a lot better lately. If he maintains his recent shape, how does it change Boston's ceiling? And for me, it changes it significantly. I mean, remember that Kemba Walker was the organizational imperative for Toronto's defense in that series last year. Like they were, Nick Nurse cultivated his scheme to slow down or and or stop Kemba Walker, and what that made life easier on Tatum and Brown. And Kemba's looked a lot better. I, I fully agree with Yunan that 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 he's looked a lot better. So I think it it changes the way you defend them. And then when you put that in concert with 
Evan Fournier being a part of the rotation, not, you know, between him and Smart and a bunch of other guys, you're going to have to try a lot of different things to see what works. It's going to be hard, a lot harder to stop their offense, and hopefully Brad Stevens is less satisfied with the Jason Tatum going one-on-one against the other team's best perimeter defender stuff that was so plagued them so much in that Toronto series. Yeah, a really particularly against Philly, if that's a, a matchup for these guys, Kemba Walker is essential. Uh, and against the Bucks too, I would say that he, he really is, if he's going well, he, and maybe to a lesser extent Tatum, but those guys coming off a pick and roll, being able to shoot off the dribble, that is a cheat code to get teams out of that base defense where they have some big center back there protecting the rim. So that's important. Now, maybe against the switching system, he becomes not their best guy, probably like Jalen Brown, uh, as their best guy going against the switching system but yeah I mean, just to to have that third score and i've talked about this before too this the offensive pace that walker gives them with his ability to break the paint and kick out is something that i think they get pretty stagnant when they run everything through tatum and brown uh what kind of chance do you give the celtics against the sixers in a potential one versus four or five matchup although the sixers have had enough problems recently i mean i guess are the Bucks the favorite now for the number one no, seed? The, six, the Sixers question, still but. are. Actually, I actually talked about this with Dan Feldman for Real Jam Radio. They the have Sixers a super have easy schedule, right? Ridiculous. The, so in terms of record, the best team the Sixers play the rest of the year is the Hawks. Yeah. I mean, they, they are playing poorly lately, but as, as long as Embiid's healthy, they should be able to take care of business against some of these tanking bottom feeders. Uh, but but anyway, back to the Celtics. What If it is the one uh, versus uh, four or five in the second round, the Celtics get out of that, which could be difficult, obviously, in and of itself. Yeah, I think the Celtics could cause more problems. Embiid has really been on a mission to crush them, but they also have experience going against him in the playoffs last year. And I, I, offensively, they could cause some problems, as I mentioned if walker is going well so i would pick the sixers to win that particularly if the sixers have home court and i mean that's another lingering question of just how much home court is going to mean but no i i think i I, and especially if the celtics have won their first round series so that means they're playing well you know i could see that myself picking that as like philly in seven or something like that i want to do this one briefly um from b from bpm twitter feels like danny Ainge has really whiffed with some uh with mid to late first round picks that could have filled out the bench is this perspective right or is he achieved a normal normal outcome i would argue if you look at the last few years he's actually doing better than normal i mean remember robert williams was a late first round pick peyton pritchard is a part of the rotation yeah i mean langford has been yeah. hurt a lot but he's been a desmond, player. desmond bain was a great pick <laughs> sorry <laughs> i mean he was um so they, it's they Batiste did select him yeah 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 but yeah, he's Great but, selection. But no, I mean, your argument is potentially capable rotation players, and that is not a guaranteed proposition. Like, the, those players in the late first often aren't even NBA players, period. And so it is, and like, Grant Williams is intriguing. Like, you and I have been kind of kind of around that. So I, I think that his success rate is totally reasonable. And if Robert Williams ends up being a long-term starter, which I think is totally possible, then I, then I think they're doing even better than that. And it's not a perfect success rate. It's also, a you know, they've run into all these roster spot issues and everything else because they have so many the volume of those picks plus everything else but no i think that danny Ainge's success in that area has been totally fine if not better than fine yeah they've had some pretty big hits and some pretty big misses right i mean so we'll just go through it here james young it's it's funny because they just seem like they either do awesome or they do terrible james young no good smart was in the lottery we won't count that one if we're talking about mid-bridge picks although their their track record a 
of guys uh, in the top 10 is awesome. Uh, so, I mean, that's obviously got to be a part of the evaluation. So, uh, Terry Rozier, massive hit. That was a guy that nobody thought they should have drafted there. He, he was a, a really good mid-round guy. RJ Hunter, total miss. Uh, Ante Zizic, Gershon Yabusele, total miss. And Robert Williams is pretty good. Grant Williams, I still think Grant Williams can be a really good, valuable player. In some ways, I I wish that they he would be used more. He's actually from his three point shooting, for example. He's taking a little bit of a step forward this year. They just haven't done that much with him at center switching. I thought that actually going away from that cost them a game against the Heat last year. And Pritchard looks totally sad. Neesmith, he was something that I liked. I, I liked that pick, but that he hasn't really developed either. But we've also seen some of these guys just be terrible as rookies and it, you remember Neesmith it hurt his foot at Vanderbilt so he really hadn't played at all he didn't have a summer league I think he's we'll see what these guys kind of look like in summer league but uh all right let's do one more here on, on the Celtics uh Ian uh, I guess I Rioff wanted to know about Evan Fournier's next deal and it seems pretty clear based on the trade deadline that teams don't value Evan Fournier the way that we do um so I think my kind of calibration for that is I take the level that I think they are and knock it down a peg or two so I think if Fournier is a solid starter I think that other teams will maybe see him as a fringe starter capable backup so that's more in the 12 to 15 million range maybe depending on depending on where everything goes and uh, I think that might end up being where what he kind of gets yeah and he notes that they have a lot of expenses coming up which uh, has been talked about quite a bit with Tatum's new deal uh smart potentially need an extension I mean that's one thing though is that 48 could potentially be insurance uh, for smart but I think if you have a a chance to get a good player on a decent deal you grab them and then you figure it out later uh you could always trade them later there's I would rather grab Evan Fournier on a 12 to 15 million dollar a year deal which and maybe it'll take more than that Uh, who knows who knows what the years are but they also need him for next year right i mean that's that's the thing like they traded for him for a reason these other guys uh have not been ready and you could always move him if it does turn out that say romeo langford is ready to move into that position and then quickly here uh from uh LBTC Hall, which team out of the top three in the East do you believe the Celtics have the best chance to beat in a series? I would say Philly uh, pretty easily just because of the uh, lack of scheme versatility. Um, and uh, not, that assumes everyone's healthy, obviously. I mean, I think the Nets, if they're not healthy, then then that changes things. Let's move to the 39 and 20 Brooklyn Nets here. Five and four since the last 15 and 60. Obviously, they've been struggling. KD is supposed to come back today. We're recording this in the early afternoon. So we're don't know how that went yet. Uh 5.0 net rating, sixth in the NBA, second on offense. Now they've fallen behind the Clippers, 24th uh, on defense, but projecting for 46 wins, which would be a tie for second. They will be making the playoffs. Let's start with this one from Ray. What are the odds the Brooklyn Nets win the title without one of Harden or Durant? Very low. I think that the threshold this year is going to be high. And while I like a lot of the Nets' support players, and I think that two of their three are good enough to kind of keep them afloat. Remember, the threshold we're talking here is not like, can they be a good regular season team? It's can they win four playoff series, at least three of which are probably going to be against good teams. And I don't think they can do that. I'll put it this way. If they don't have Harden or Durant, I would say that they would have to win three series in a row as underdog. And I, you know, I, I picked the Nets to come out of the East at the start of the year before they had Harden. Part of that was based on all the depth that they had. And also Spencer Dinwiddie was healthy at that point too. Uh, but also I assumed that they were going to make a trade to get better defensively. As it turned out, they just instead put together maybe the greatest offense of all time, which we sadly haven't seen play yet. But once you 
you lose one of those guys or i mean even irving as well i think that wouldn't be as big of a loss if you had both harden and durant so uh which role player for the nets as a fan of sector 2814 which role player for the nets do you think will be more useful during the playoffs bruce braun tlc claxton or blake griffin who actually gets them as a tlc would be at the bottom of that for me clearly um and i would have griffin third because i value brown and claxton's defensive like the things they bring defensively and obviously you don't need a ton offensively with the other guys blake has looked much yeah. better in a nets uniform than he did with the pistons early in the year and that's very encouraging but i just don't I, and, and i like having a little bit more passing but i think that brown and claxton to me those are the top two in in either order i think that it depends kind of depends on if you think about do you need do you need somebody to like really menace some of those some of those like guard creators and the weird dynamic with the with the east this year is that there aren't as many depending on where the bracket falls there aren't as many of those guys like miami i guess maybe you could put them on Dragic and some of the other stuff but this but the switching of claxton i think could be very very useful i think i like both of them a lot though yeah claxton you just he's totally unproven uh but I think, you know, the theory of him is probably the most useful for them. Griffin becomes more useful if Harden is out still or Durant yes. is out still. And they need a little bit just more passing. Uh, Griffin, incidentally, they've been very good when Griffin has played with Claxton or as a center. And they've been bad when he's played with DeAndre Jordan or, or the now departed LaMarcus Aldridge. So that that's that maybe limits Griffin's utility a, a little bit there. Uh you got any of these that you want to do, Danny? Oh, we could. There's another fan of sector one. And basically, I do think the media has given the Nets enough credit for staying at the top with so many injuries. I don't like talking about whether they a team gets enough credit, but I will give them enough credit. I think that the, it is they have the star talent to kind of withstand, especially offensively, some. And I, but I think that Nash and the coaching staff have done a really nice job. As as Fan of Sector mentioned, they've tra- played a lot of different lineups. They've also had roster turnover during the year, had to empower different players at different times. I think they've done a very good job weathering these storms. And we were super optimistic about how they were looking going into the playoffs before Harding got hurt, re- re-aggravated this, because now it's like, will that linger? But I think they've handled this year extremely well overall. Uh, Lord Bob 420. Hey, happy 420 to you, Bob. Uh, would you be more concerned if one of KD, Harden, or Kyrie were out for the entire playoffs, but the other two are healthy, or if Joe Harris were out? Uh, I think it, any of the four of those guys, uh, you're, you've got problems, but, and I understand the crux of the question that Kyrie, Harden, and KD are somewhat duplicative in terms of their creation, but Joe Harris is the guy that they don't really have a replacement for uh, as a spot-up shooter. I think ultimately, though, just having those three guys, they can find people to fit around them i mean that having those three is what makes them truly truly special because their offense has to be basically like best offense of all time to win with this defense and so i think you still have that higher ceiling with all three of those guys available and the ability to basically have two of them three of them that's exactly where i was going at all times yeah yeah the the idea the idea and and because that makes it so hard for opposing defenses all 48 minutes of how do you how do you handle that you're gonna have to concede something and yeah joe harris is great at conceding those but you need to generate those licks in the first place and that's that's really how it gets done 
Um, um, we'll do this one. I'll yeah. do this one briefly from uh, the one man zone. Uh, do you think anyone could beat the top three teams in a seven game series? Uh, Kevin Pelton's any chance rule? Yes, I think that there are teams that can, but I absent Harden's injury extending or a subsequent you know injury going to the playoffs, I wouldn't pick any team over them, and I don't think I would. You know, I, I don't think I would pick any series going seven either, knowing what we know right now. Yeah, when you look at this Nets roster and how healthy they are, I would have to say at this point there's a fifty percent chance that. That one of Kyrie, KD, and Harden will not be at least fully healthy for the beginning of the playoffs. And I would still favor them over any team that's not in the top three in the first round. And But I think Miami always, I mean, I realize I keep saying this and they keep not turning the corner offensively. They're actually better defensively this year. And also looking at some of Miami's numbers with just Trevor Ariza on the floor, where and he's actually shooting 35% from three now after a slow start, that they actually have looked pretty good with that, that that any kind of facsimile that stretch four that they were looking for and they have their own injury problems too but and the Celtics I think if they're fully healthy I still I think that they can get back to where they were last year and that if you don't have all three of those guys healthy that it it could uh, get pretty difficult for the Nets I don't see anyone else causing them problems though but I I would give Miami or Boston a puncher's chance probably won't have to play either of those I I guess we'll see what ends up happening maybe Miami could be sixth and the Nets could be third it seems like the Nets are kind of headed for third right now um how would you rank KD Kyrie and Harden purely based off of personality consider how all three of them left their previous teams and how all of them have had issues with former co-stars or throwing teammates under the bus who's first second or third in that regard uh I would say KD would still be number one to me um you know nobody ever had a problem with kd in oklahoma city and everyone in golden state pretty much still liked kd he just kind of was brooding a little bit by the end uh i personally uh, <laughs> I, well kd is the only one that i've really talked to but uh you know i i i, I think he's he defends harder I, I mean i would put Kyrie last just because of some of that stuff might lead to him just not being available at all it, it seems like so yeah so i'd go kd harden and and Kyrie would, would probably be it for me and, and harden yeah go ahead sorry i would have the same order for the record okay that's good for that let's move on to charlotte 29 and 30 as we talk here that's all these stats by the way are through saturday and the they are currently playing the boston celtics at the moment got a nine point lead actually in third quarter four and six since the last 15 and 60 which again pretty solid considering who's been available for them negative 2.2 net rating is 22nd they've outperformed their point differential by three four games or so 19th on offense and somehow no idea on god's green earth how they've done this 18th uh, on defense they project in a tie for the eighth seed at 35 wins 49 percent chance of the playoffs per raptor 57 percent per elo yeah and i think a couple of the questions touched on the same basic idea so we might as well stop there there's one from cardio freak 95 and one from nba stalker which basically like how do the hornets resolve their backcourt situation and so i want to walk people through it a little bit so for the hornets lamella ball terry rosier are both under contract um rosier that'll be the fi- the final year of his contract lamella of course has three more on that rookie scale deal then Malik Monk and Devontae Graham are both restricted free agents should the Hornets extend qualifying offers to them. That's a no-brainer for Graham. And for Monk, it's a little more complicated because his not only is his qualifying offer higher, but also his, um, or, or sorry, not his, his uh, cap hold is dramatically higher. So that's a $16 million. But you can, of course, yeah. replace that cap hold with an agreement. And so 
I think the conversation that Mitch Kupchak needs to have with Malik Monk is basically is the, like basically seeing what his intended number is. And and I think the most likely scenario is that they have to play the game a little bit with Devontae Graham because now that he's going to be, you know, assuming he goes to restricted free agency, I think he's going to want to see what's out there. But with Monk, remember, it really only has to happen before kind of before the moratorium is a good way to think about it, or before you sequence all your other moves is try to get him at a lower number than that cap and then use the cap space to sign somebody. So the other part that Kupchak in the front office can know is, what can we get with that cap space? Are Is the dunked on favorite Rashawn Holmes? Is he interested in going there? Can they get somebody else, whether that's Montrez Harrell or somebody in a trade? You know, they could go after somebody else like that. And once they know how much they need, they can kind of piece all these things together. And I'm sure there have been preliminary conversations with somebody like Malik Monk, whereas that matters less with Devontae Graham because Devontae Graham is going to make more than his cap hold. So you can kind of wait him out a little bit if you need to. And I think that the end game, unless Malik Monk gets a crazy offer from someone else, is actually that all of them come back. Yeah, you could see that. And Monk's qualifying offer will probably be lower because he's I don't think he's going to hit the starter criteria agreed so that that'll lower lower that a little bit into like the four million dollar yeah. range and, but his and cap hold would still be high that's exactly what I was going to say like so if you don't meet the starter criteria as a higher draft player it lowers your qualifying offer but it doesn't lower the amount that's on the books yeah for for the cap hold and so yeah Monk seems by far the most likely to not return for that reason because if they use cap space they basically will have to renounce him unless they could you know maybe they could give him a deal that was you know three years 18 million or something like that uh which could knock that number down if they could come to an agreement i know it might even behoove them to slightly overpay him just to keep him around to get that lower number on the books early because yeah if you you can force him to take the qualifying offer eventually but it's going to take him until october to sign that and you've got that huge cap hold on your books until he does do that from ashley kissick in a play-in setting which team do you think is likely to perform the best out of the wizards the pacers and the the hornets and for me it's definitely the hornets they have been the better team when healthy and there's yeah if healthy yeah and there's but there's reason to believe that they will be healthier than the pacers at bare minimum and the wizards oh yeah have been super hot recently and maybe and and i think a portion of that is real we'll talk about them plenty later but i trust the hornets a healthier version than the current ones i trust them more than either of the other two and they'll probably have the advantage like in terms of record and you know seating yeah i mean i think this uh, ashley's question presupposes that you know we're not counting home court advantage or seating or anything in this but just yeah which would play the best yeah i could see it being washington their defense has been a lot better lately they found some something that's center with Gafford and Lopez even Alex Len is they've been getting some stuff there and Westbrook is playing much better Beal I mean they they do have that kind of established veteran firepower in a way that Charlotte doesn't necessarily uh given what we know now ah yes this is a good one from uh underscore e given what we know now Who's the better player slash asset, Rozier or Kemba? I think player, I'd probably still go Kemba. Asset, probably have to go Rozier. Yeah, I mean, Kemba, especially when you consider age and availability, Kemba making 36 million next season and then 37.7 the year after that, whereas Terry Rozier, 17.9 million expiring. I think Rozier, he is 
a better that is a better contract. I would rather you know and and I would you know depending on what Kemba you're getting and depending on what your team's priorities are. Like if you have the luxury of being able to have Kemba you know take him at his place and be able to handle that for the regular season, I would rather have Kemba. But if you need somebody, if you if you're not that team that can benefit that can utilize a player who's going to sit on back to backs and who's going to need to miss some time, then there are a lot of teams that I would I would rather have Rozier. I would still say Kemba's the better player, but if it's who would you rather have in that context, then I think Rozier has has earned a place above Kemba in that. And the, you know people will know that that take that takes some some for me to say. But Rozier's played really well this year, and I think that he fits into rotations and he's he's available more often and everything else. So yeah, I think that he has earned that. And yeah, it's a much it's a much better contract. And that isn't to say like oh Danny Ainge made some huge mistake. I mean there was there was always possibility that Kemba was going to yeah. deal with some injuries. Well, but. well, and let's keep in mind that they made it to the East Finals last year, right? Partially because they had Kemba. They wouldn't have done that probably if they had Terry Rozier. So like that that counts, right? Like you did make it to a conference finals. Like I know there's this disappointment with the Celtics of like oh yeah they they can't break through, they can't make it to the finals. Like you know most franchises would be pretty fucking happy you made it to the conference finals. And Kemba was that's what you're an important for. part of that too. It's not just Precisely. like he was along for the ride like in that sort of a circumstance um a question from jt hoopin uh, can miles bridges be a quality starter on the team moving forward how much will it take to keep him bridges is extension eligible this offseason so remember he's going to be there uh, we'll we'll see what what bridges looks like next year if he if he doesn't sign an extension i think of him more in that kind of like low-end starter range so 15 to 18 he has had some real signs though that have that have been encouraging we'll see if the jump shooting so this year 40 percent from three but i'm still on a low-ish volume let's put it that way i would love for i mean when you consider how how impressive his dunks are i would love for bridges to get to the foul line more often that's something that i've wanted for him going even back to his college days but players who are in that six foot six six foot eight range who can be a potentially like starter level player they aren't easy to come by so it also wouldn't surprise me to see bridges get more than that all right we got a few questions here from our discord as well i'm going to run through those very quickly could Lamelo ball eventually be the best player on a championship team or second best yeah i think he could be i'm actually a little bit lower on him than danny is i i think ultimately but no certainly it's possible and he's had this meteoric improvement so far and he's got the size you just wonder whether the scoring i think will be the biggest thing i think the playmaking is going to get there for sure i think defensively he'll be fine he's got the size uh, i think it's just is he going to be a dominating enough score to like really unleash that uh, amazing playmaking and uh are you concerned with pj washington's offense inside the arc asked tom uh what are your thoughts on his limitations finishing at the rim yeah i, I think he can get better there but he's not an explosive athlete but they also kind of to me really the way he shot the ball if you could it's really more about getting better defensively that's the big thing that i'm concerned about and yeah it'd be nice if he can get into the post and mash some guys but they got plenty of creators here what they really need from pj is to be able to play that small ball center role defensively and then space the floor on the other end i'm not as worried about his finishing inside he's not an explosive athlete so that's that's i don't know that that's ever going to be amazing for him and and i don't think that you're ever necessarily going to want him to do that like that's the other part of it it's like yeah it does concern me because i think that will be a limitation i mean pj washington shooting 46 percent on twos this year and not getting to the line a ton like that isn't great, but 
I don't think it totally gums up the works for them. The Bulls are 25 and 35, 5 and 7 since the last 15 and 60. It seems like it's not even that good, but uh, negative 1.3 net rating is 21st. Actually, a better net rating than Charlotte, interestingly enough. Uh, 16th on offense, 20th on defense. They project for the 12th seed, 29 wins, 4% chance the playoffs per Raptor, 2% uh, per ELO. And remember, and that's to make it into the best of seven. That's not to make it into the play. Yes, yes. Uh, DJ Bodega Cat asks, perhaps related, is it too early for Billy Donovan and Artur Karnishevist to be on the hot seat? Yes, it is. I mean, I was not the biggest Billy Donovan fan before this season. I am still not the biggest Billy Donovan fan. But especially considering the big moves that they made and then almost immediately followed by Zach Levine going into the health and safety protocols, I I don't exactly understand what them being on the hot seat would mean. And if... I mean, if you're not going to fire the GM, and I don't think you should, then why would you fire the coach he chose when you're going to let him choose the next coach? So maybe after next year, that would probably be the early side of the hot seat. And I have, you know, I thought that the Vooch trade was a was a pretty big mistake and said so at the time. And, and this season's current place is informs that, but not dramatically so. It was more about next year and the year after. But if the question I, is... I, I disagree. I think, I mean, I think this is, this year was basically probably, I would say that more if you say Vooch has three years left in this contract I would say that more than one third of this trade was about this year I think part of it was about getting Zach Levine to want to come back uh, maybe on this renegotiation and extend this offseason to prove that they were really serious and and they haven't made the playoffs in a bunch of time they wanted to make the playoffs so we thought they could like get into being in contention for the sixth seed and certainly make the play and and even before Levine's uh, COVID uh, positivity they were doing really poorly and they couldn't stop it anyone and they also are in the midst right now casey johnson's been all over this of one of the longest streaks in nba history of not shooting 20 free throw attempts in a game and yeah that's what you get when you get nikola vucevic uh so no i I mean they're not gonna be in the hot seat they just got hired and they're both probably better than their predecessors and but certainly it is very fair to question the move i mean this is the biggest move they made patrick williams at four is you know jury's still out on him he's the youngest player in the draft we'll see there it's not looking like a bad pick but he's not looking like a great pick either so far so i mean yeah the 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 two biggest things that they've done are either neutral or bad and donovan well and the third one was hiring billy donovan yeah and donovan is you know i view him as an adequate coach but i also just ranked him 26th in the nba among coaches so that's and that's not, again i'm not looking at billy donovan man this guy's terrible it's just you're hard pressed to see what he does other than just like kind of bare organizational competence i want to do this one from miles quarterman uh should the bulls try to make the play in or since levine is actually trying to get a top four pick and there there isn't that much of an incentive to, for them so what so the bulls are 25 and 35 i think it's very unlikely that they could fall any further than the seventh worst record because the Cavs are basically four games ahead of slash behind the Bulls in terms of record. And I don't think they're going to do a ton of winning the rest of the way. If you want to think about it this way, 538 projects the Cavs to win as many games this season as the Bulls have right now. So yeah. well, and, and Sacramento just lost uh, Fox as well for, for health and safety protocols. So I think, yeah, probably eighth you would think is their, yeah, is, so, is their ceiling. So if let's, let's say for the sake of it, let's say they could. They and that's could, where they are right now, by yeah, the way. It's eighth. It's eighth. So let's say they could theoretically fall to the seven spot the the seven spot you that is you know the most so the most likely pick you get there is most technically most likely is eighth because somebody the odds are somebody's going to jump in and the average pick is six and then if you're i would say pushing a little harder pushes you to like 12th 
because remember, you have to make it into the playoffs to, to really boost it beyond that. Then you're looking most likely pick as the 11th pick, average is 10.3. To me, that isn't a big well, enough Well, incentive. but it's all it's all about, it's not the average, it's about the percent chance you get into the top four. Yeah, and so... Because it's top four protected. So oh, yeah, that, so that's that the relevant number, right? So, yeah. so here's, a, I got that in front of me. So okay. just to give you some perspective, of here's the chance you get into the top four and you keep your pick. The highest you could be is 52% if you're in the top three worst record. Then it basically goes down about 6% uh, for each slot. So you've got 48% for four, 42% for five, 37% for six. And then what we said, maybe the best they could do is seven for 32%. And then this is skewed a little bit because two teams are actually tied for eight right now. So that would uh, change that around a little bit. But you're probably about you know 25% chance of keeping your pick at eight. Then you go down to about 19 at nine and 13 at 10. So there's in between seven and 10, you're talking about almost a 20% difference in their chance of keeping their top four picks. So I think it's a very legitimate question. And it is. And I mean, if it were me, yeah, I would... I mean, I guess some of this is like, oh, we got to keep Levine around, blah, blah. So we we just, we don't want to tank too much, but he's out already anyway. I, I think it's kind of, if it were me, I would be tanking. I'll put it, I'll put it that way. <laughs> but uh, they, that doesn't, uh, particularly when you just made this big move, they're not, they're going to, oh, we got to build momentum for next year or whatever. But yeah, no, I think I'd rather have a 20% higher chance at a top four pick personally. Well, and, and especially when you consider that it's either a top four pick or you just fucking lost it completely. Yeah, that's, that's. I was just looking that up on Real GM, and yeah, so the, the way those picks were structured, a, a not as a, maybe a riskier gamble than Orlando thought it was that there, it, there, it doesn't convert to anything. It doesn't even convert into seconds, from what I can tell. It's oh just, really? So it's just nothing. Yeah, because I, I guess they just wanted the ob- to be sure that the obligations didn't get pushed back. Right, and it's not like the Bulls had anything on the back end of that. So whee! <laughs> oh man, that's fascinating that it doesn't even roll over to the next year. Yeah, it's possible that the records are incomplete, but I know the people who do that at Real GM and. They're very complete. So my instinct is that it's it's, <laughs> it's it's not that. So yeah, that is I I hadn't fully comprehended how crazy a dynamic that is, but that's really interesting. I uh, can do this one briefly from Casey Scott. Um, what would you say the Bulls' vision for the season was? They traded future assets for Vooch, but also gave Patrick Williams nearly 30 developmental minutes per game. And it's a tension that a couple of teams had this year, including the Golden State Warriors. And I think the idea is that you're trying that you don't think that the developmental minutes hurt you as much as they actually do. And Williams, you know, he's not terrible at every. I think that Wiseman has been more detrimental than to the Warriors, partially because center is so important defensively than Patrick Williams has been to the Bulls. But it is a it's a weird it's a weird choice that it seems to me whether it's front offices or coaches don't fully acknowledge is that playing these young dudes giving them a lot of time and hopefully it makes them better long term that it does make your team worse and the bulls had this weird dynamic early in the season where they they uh, you could make an argument they had more they had better players at, like so if we exclude levine from this like i liked a lot of their bench players better than their starters and so part of that was you, you, know, you want to see what this group has and everything else and with sato starting over kobe white now and when Temple's healthy, he gets more minutes, and Thaddeus Young obviously has blossomed as well, or at least thrived. Um, I think that that was, like, I think that the Bulls, and to an extent the Warriors too, and a couple other teams, I don't think they saw it as being as big a practical downside as it is. 
By the way, I'm, I'm going through Real GM. It may just be that it's unprotected the next year. Maybe they just didn't, because the reason I say that is it says on there that the 2023 one is protected for selections one to four in 2023, if conveyable. Yeah, you and might so be the only the only reason it wouldn't be conveyable is if 2021 got pushed to 2022. So it, maybe it's just unprotected yeah. next year. And then 2023, if it doesn't go in 2023, that moves on to just being unprotected the next year. I, I, will, I, will, do so, guess, I will do some digging on this between now yeah now we, we definitely need to know the answer on this one yeah. um yeah so so and then on the patrick williams thing part of it has been well garrett garrett temple has been better than him clearly at the three and i think he's been an underrated part of like when they've been good he's been a big part of that but when garrett temple has missed a ton of time this year due to covid and hamstring and ankle and all that so they basically just haven't had anyone else at the three i mean that's been kind of part of it too uh and they didn't get anyone else at the three they they got garrett temple would and just used their mid-level and that was it so part of it was really they didn't have anyone else so someone had to play the three and in theory guard these guys because keep in mind then you've got kobe white and zach levine also in the starting lineup and so they're not going to guard the best player on the other team either oh, we got a question from michael bartlum what should the bulls do a point guard this offseason with no real fa options and they can look at who they could potentially get for the mid-level but i think the end game for them is to keep saturansky for another year he's lightly you know he's kind of half guaranteed for saturansky i don't think the bulls the way that they would have to let him go would be to clear cap space and the reason to clear cap space would be to give levine a renegotiation extension so yes if that's what it takes to to lock up zach levine sure by all means like do it and you're probably going to sacrifice yeah, but, well they have enough room to do that even if they hold on to saturansky and young but that that would mean getting rid of marketing's cap hold but i it doesn't really seem like they are too scared of doing that right but and so I, I mean maybe if they could bring back marketing on a relatively cheap deal then it might make sense to move on from sataransky to so you could still have marketing and you could renegotiate and extend levine but i i don't see that necessarily being the case so yeah and i think you know kobe white's playing better recently he's been knocking down his his spot ups until last game he'd been avoiding turning it over but he did have 30 in the last game so i know there's a lot of frustration with kobe white but i honestly think he's still kind of on track to being like a solid enough starting point guard in the end not a star or anything but i think he can give you some especially next to levine you want to have a shooter at that position yes he's got to get better defensively and the turnovers have got to go down which he's working on but uh especially once you see that this team is not really close anyway maybe bring in another veteran option would be nice but they already have sataransky who they're paying i don't know who they're going to bring in at that same type of money it's going to be that much better than sataransky you know you probably to have a third point guard is better than ryan archidiakno that would probably be a good idea yeah but, especially uh, because i mean next year will be different hopefully but 48 good minutes now basically at a position basically requires three capable players because you're going to be missing somebody at some point um and that's that that's more true this year than it has been in others but it's still true okay let's uh move on here to, to the caps yeah the Cleveland Cavaliers, 21 and 38, a more robust four and six since the last 15 in 60. They're 26th in net rating, 28th in offense, but 21st defense. Um, not bad there. Uh, yeah, 538 yeah, projects yeah. them to win 25 games, which would be 13th in the East. They are not going to make the playoffs. And we could, uh, so we got a lot of questions about Darius Garland. Um, we could kind of do a couple of those together. Um, one was from Papa E and then another one from Sportsnom. So I'll frame it in terms of Papa E's one, which is, has Darius Garland play this season caught up with his pre-draft expectation yeah it just depends what those what those are really and i think in terms of the most encouraging thing is the shooting and jb bickerstaff i thought had some encouraging statements after 
their game recently saying hey we want to get Darius Garland up to shooting eight or ten threes per game and Garland has said that as well and he's at five so far this year but I think having that as a goal is important he's shooting 41 percent so that that really helps a, a lot and you know he's at 48 percent from two and so that's kind of on track ish still never ever gets to the foul line which is something that he's going to have to improve but his efficiency has been fine this year I mean 55 percent that's actually probably a little bit above average for all point guards uh if he could just get to the line a little bit more improve his finishing a little bit more his passing has improved as well he's starting to add a little bit of flair and so I mean if you just look at those overall stats does he look like he's on track to being a possible superstar uh, no I wouldn't say so so I, I th- like whenever you talk about expectations for draft picks you always got to view it really to me as kind of a range and part of the reason that you make certain picks is because you think that that player might just have th- some crazy upset I think that was part of the Garland pick for the Cavs it's just like hey this guy's got really good shooting ability that where he could become a real problem we like his passing he's got a, this really nice handle and he hasn't played that much but you could kind of talk yourself into him being a really high upside guy and that ship i'm not gonna say it's completely sailed but i think it's mostly sailed at this point so if that's what so you but you would never say that that's your expectation for most guys unless you know darius garland to me wasn't a can't miss prospect the way that john morant or zion were for example or even someone like Lamelo. it wasn't can't miss but it, he obviously had more upside but if your expectations were that garland was gonna be a solid star point guard for a long time which is probably it was always going to be the most likely outcome i think he's on track for that would you agree i would and i was a garland optimist partially because i just didn't like a lot of the rest of the guys in that draft yeah. class he, he was third on my on my board yeah i, I and, and for garland what i what intrigued me about him was that i liked his mechanics shooting wise and so i thought that i, I felt good about his catch and shoot and then i thought that he had the potential to be to be able to create those off off the dribble threes and his catch and shoot stuff to me yeah that's that's looked exactly as expected in the on ball i think it's been a mix his passing has has consistently improved and we saw little flashes of that in the limited vandy time that that garland had i wish he was a little bit shiftier a little bit more dynamic on ball but we've seen more of that this year than we did last year so yeah i would say he's on track and and the other element that i do really like about garland this is part of why i supported the Cavs pick there is that garland i i think of him as the kind of like the leader of an offense i think that is a it is a more reliable sustainable model for a team than i mean with sexton you could argue and i would that sexton has been more accomplished than garland and he's done all this stuff but if i'm if you said okay one of these guys is going to be an important player on a really good team garland has further to go but i also think that where he could go is more desirable and that's part of why i've you know and and i admit that i've been wrong on sexton he's defied he's exceeded my expectations pretty consistently but Maybe it's my own biases, but that's just a form I'm comfortable with. Yeah, and Garrett asks, uh, you were high on Garland coming into the draft. Why the lack of excitement in his future now? And and we talked about this a little bit. I think he is coming into that. But I mean, being high on Garland, as you mentioned, Danny, I think that he was number three on my board. Part of that was just the was the upside, and part of it was just the lack of excitement at the other prospects. I would have considered him, I was less excited about him at number three than I would be most players in most years and although maybe not 2000 so or or, sorry 2020 but uh 2000 drafts suck too by the way so (laughs) uh so i think it's 
he is showing off some of the stuff that intrigued us initially, but it's, I just don't, as I said, there was some thought that he could really have super high upside, all-star upside. And I, I think we've, I've seen enough to feel as if that due to the lack of athleticism, maybe that that's probably not going to be the case, but Hey, I mean, you know, if he starts bombing 10 threes a game and he's making 40%, like their goal is maybe I'll, I'll change my tune on that. Um, um let's from, do one more here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to do this one quick and then we can get to another one from at Tampa two coach who gets more money in extension Sexton or Michael Porter jr. On merit, it would be MPJ. His skill set is harder to replace. His offense is, is very good. And Sexton, he's been productive and he's been more efficient than before. But I mean, Porter jr's upside, I think is more tantalizing, but remember both of them play for teams that have paid their guys. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, but then I think the, the question that we can do that from, from Ellie vice is, or Weiss, I don't, I, I was thinking of it that way. Uh, Cleveland assembled a core of solid players, but in, in at least opinion, no stars. Uh, what year do you think they next make the playoffs? Or are they destined to be the next Orlando? And last question first, I think that is a distinct possibility. The, the idea, and remember, that was a criticism I had of Orlando for a long time, was that they didn't have the top guy. They didn't have the person to lead the rotation. And Sexton Garland could both turn into that player, but I'm not totally sure. I like Jared Allen a lot. Maybe a Coro moves in. But to me, if this is their core, if they don't get somebody in this year's draft that slots in better than most, if not all of those guys, then they're probably looking more like a lower end playoff team rather than somebody that I think is going to win a series or two. Quickly, here we got some more from our Discord on Dunked on Prime. Who's better down the line, Garland or Sexton? And I'm going to do this in lightning round fashion. You could this is this is the uh, the low rent Brown or Tatum, like the two recent high draft picks who both kind of play the same position. Oh, I think I'm going to go. I I may go Garland actually, just due to the passing ability, and I think he's just a more comfortable three point shooter and i think just the the fit for sexton it's just really hard to play him a point guard with his lack of passing and so garland to me fits in on more teams so i probably is and it's easier to build around so i probably would go uh, with garland um and then one more here walk away number for a sexton extension and what do you think kobe altman's number is i'm guessing kobe's number is probably be like 25 million a year and god mine would be 19 i was thinking 18 i mean but is that realistic for a guy who's scoring as many points per game as he is but they probably wouldn't yeah just briefly for sexton uh averaging 24 and a half points per game 58 percent true shooting on 29 usage and uh, 5.7 assists per hundred possession yeah i i like the third per 36 a little bit better for that just because i think it it's like it's easier to translate out personally like i like to for people like oh that's probably pretty close to per game if he played the whole game whereas 100 possessions yeah, is basically it's, it's, a whole game which nobody beca- plays i was having so. a conversation with seth partner in terms of total usage and that uses assist per 100 possessions that's kind of why i've been i've been kind of trying oh, to yeah. myself into that yeah and, i think it's just a, as a quick and dirty sure relative um let's see here okay let's go to the pistons yes the pistons are 17 and 43 three and eight since the last 15 and 60 negative 4.9 net rating is 25th 26th in offense 19th in defense and 538 projects them to finish tied with the Orlando Magic for the for the last spot in the East of so 14 slash 15 and the third and fourth worst records in the league. And we can, I think we can start with this one from Matt Conway. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Pistons trio of rookies, especially now given their increased playing time? Yeah, Stewart, big fan of what he's able to do defensively and rebounding. The shooting potential, I think, is there to some degree. Now, what is that become Wendell Carter type of shooting potential? Or is it actually going to 
develop and I mean, let's not forget carter's 22 it could still develop his own julius randall always you thought maybe had that potential and now all of a sudden he's an awesome shooter at age 26 so it can take a while you never know on that but i think and he actually i was like oh you know maybe he's not the greatest pick and roll finisher he's actually been able to do that a little bit more in recent games so i mean he's not he's just not going to go up and dunk on you but i think he has enough skill and facility and space that, that he could be a decent role man maybe not an elite one so i just like him I, i've i've made the and carter is playing better now we'll talk more about him i'm sure in the magic section but i, I tweeted i don't know whether i tweeted this or i said it in a chat that you know isaiah stewart is kind of what wendell carter was supposed to be and that's that's how i feel about him i think he's just a gonna be a very solid all-around center who causes problems for people especially in the regular season by just playing harder than them. so what yeah. about the other two guys for you i've really liked sadiq bay i I think that his shooting is at least close to real. I mean, taking a good volume, making 38% of them and two point efficiency will improve with time. And Sadiq Bey, I think he's going to be, you know, he's not going to be a crazy high usage guy. Him not getting to the line a ton isn't as big a deal. And then Killian Hayes, he's young. He's missed a bunch of time. I would say, so the the best I've seen from him as an NBA player was actually, uh, I watched the game against the Spurs that they play. I watched the first half primarily of that game. And the velocity and the vision on Killian Hayes' passes looked more like what we saw in the European film. And good to see that in NBA level. I mean, it still wasn't, you know, an amazing performance. And I'm not, I, I, I still don't know exactly how I feel about where he's going to go, but it was nice to see those, those positives a little bit more pop off the dribble, still, you know, working his way back physically. If I had to guess my inclination right now is that Killian Hayes probably won't be a starter, but I also, you know, the sample we've seen is so weird with him and he, Killian Hayes is so young that I'm not, I'm not wedded to that at all. Yeah, and he's had some games where he's been a, a little bit more efficient lately. It hasn't been as just horrific as it was early in the season. And they're in a little bit different of a place now as well. They don't have any of the veterans left. They were at least kind of trying to win at the start of the year. And it was funny, Hollinger tweeted, oh yeah, like uh, he just he just threw this left-handed laser to the corner. It looked awesome. And I was like, John, you didn't have to mention that it was left-handed. I think we know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah uh, but yeah it was it was uh I, I think he's showing a little bit more more promise and taking enough strides to where he's not looking completely overwhelmed and that was obviously the first step that he needed he still doesn't turn 20 for another like three months here already so i'm i'm encouraged that he's at least like getting his feet wet and not looking awful but i also don't want to go much beyond that at, at this point in time yet um from at anon egg eight how do you feel about the job doing casey's doing with pistons and then we already talked about the Killian Hayes part of that. I, I think that Dwayne Casey's doing a totally, he's doing a totally decent job. I wish, you know, the offenses look terrible at moments in time, but they also don't have great offensive personnel. And yeah, as I, has, I mean, honestly, to be 26th is actually like slightly above my expectations. I, I would agree. And, but I think that as was true often with Dwayne Casey's teams in Toronto, I would say that they've defended over their talent level. They've had to deal with a lot of weird kind of personnel and turnover stuff this year. And I, I you know, I don't see a ton of necessarily like cool wrinkles when I watch them play but I think their guys play hard and I think that they they kind of stay out of their own way for the most part and if they had better personnel I think it would look good so I I don't like I don't think Dwayne Casey is in that group of like real value add coaches and we have obviously they're not even dealing with the playoff part of this yet with Dwayne Casey but I also think that he is 
that that in he gives enough other positives that I like him. I like him having job, and I think he's done a reasonable one with the Pistons. Yeah, a couple of quick ones we can do here. Uh, dry gin drinker. What are the ceilings of Bay and Isaiah Stewart? Uh, we didn't quite hit on that aspect of it. Uh, he's as fringe All Star, good starter, or the more towards a quality role player type. And many good starters are quality role players, particularly at important positions. And I would say that when he mentions their limitations, I think the the athleticism and maybe size to some degree are those limitations and yeah i think that that's making it the all-star team neither of them is going to be enough of a creator for that i would say so somewhere in between good starter and quality role player are do either bay because of his prediction you could see him maybe getting a 20 million dollar a year contract or whatever the uh, percentage of salary cap equivalent is at that time after the new tv deal and stewart i could see him kind of maybe being in the you know, the 15, 10 to 15 range uh, in our center rankings, but not above that, just because I don't think, even though he's a very good defender for his talent and age, he still doesn't have that elite athleticism. Maybe if he could become more of a switch guy, that could be the case, but I've that's something I'd like to look at more closely on him to see how quick his feet are. That's not really something that was advertised to be part of the package for him. Oh, I want to do this one briefly as a clarification from at Jax Gregory mentioned that both Toronto with Rodney Hood and Chris Boucher and Detroit with Corey Joseph and Magruder have guys with either non-guarantees or light partial guarantees and the idea about using that to take on money. As a point of clarification, while that is a useful approach for you know the trade deadline and all that, once you get into an offseason, the player only counts at that partial or non-guaranteed amount, the, like, the non-fully guaranteed amount, unless you fully guarantee it. So you can't do that trick of trade anymore. This was cleaned up in the most recent CBA. So the, like, for example, the Raptors can't trade Rodney Hood for like a $12 million player and then and also have that other team make use that non-guarantee like that that wrinkle is gone now you count at the lower the lower value of the guarantee so it's not a tool that those teams have unless you know of course they're going to guarantee them which I think other than Boucher in almost all these circumstances they will not all right let us get to the Indiana Pacers and somehow the Pacers are actually six and five in their last 11 11 negative 1.1 net rating is 20th in the nba 18th on offense 13th on defense that's pretty impressive honestly that they're 13th considering the personnel that's been available for them this year uh they project still for a tie for the eighth seed 35 wins 43 percent chance of the playoffs per raptor 46 percent per elo and let's uh begin with uh aka underscore morning he says he loves demonis sabonis but he says he doesn't fit coach bjorken's system and they need a center that prevents their defense from just giving opponent teams layer layup after layup to expound on that just a little bit the system from bjorken has been essentially running guys off the three-point line pressuring on the perimeter and then funneling stuff into the center and that works great when it's miles turner it works less great when it's demontis sabonis and you know doug mcdermott playing the four i mean certainly those backup units with sabonis are not being done any favors by the other personnel that's available so if they moved demontis sabonis uh, who should they target in exchange? And uh, AK Morning also says I'd prefer doing a two, f- two or three for one deal. And that's something that always seems great in theory. It's 
come into starker relief for me that I just really struggle to find a modern analog to that kind of a deal. Uh, and when you're talking about all players who can play, generally you're trading established guys for future assets in the NBA to begin with. And then for a team, what star, a team with a star who's better than Sabonis is going to want to trade him and downgrade for more depth, which the Pacers do have. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I mean, the last deal that was kind of like that was, you know, that I can think of were some of those deals back in the 90s, like some of the, the deals for Barkley. Uh, you know, I think like one of the Bar- the Barkley deal to Houston was like Sam Cassell and Robert Ori, and I can't remember what else was in that deal, or uh, to go to Phoenix from Philly was Tim Perry and Jeff Hornacek and I think like Andrew Lang or something like that. Yeah, the, uh, the, more, so. the more common model is like capable but less good player and draft pick and or draft picks like the Kevin Martin yeah. in the James Harden trade or if you want to go Jeff Green in the Ray Allen trade or, or numerous other ones. Well, well, I think honestly uh, the Nikola Vucevic trade to me is a very similar analog for what they could get for Sabonis. The, uh, those guys have a lot of similarities uh, as kind of more defensively limited centers but are, are still solid on offense but kind of a little bit more floor raisery. Um, yeah, I like Sabonis better defensively than Vucevic because he's got a little bit quicker of feet and Sabonis is a little bit harder to fit in with offensively because he doesn't have the shooting range that Vucevic does so I I think those guys are kind of lower end Eastern Conference quote-unquote all-stars that probably aren't actually among the top 12 best players in the conference so I I mean if they could get the same package that the Bulls got for Vucevic that would be or, or that Orlando got for Vucevic I would do that and then maybe you would just try to trade those assets at a future time to boost the rest of your team well and if we're if you're talking about what do the what would the Pacers be looking for to me if you evaluate TJ Warren as a power forward which i think is his most natural position then you're looking for a three good luck with that threes are incredibly hard to find maybe you can use the draft picks or you you know you move up in something else to get that player but that is really what would really what would kind of push them to another another gear for me um at general mill asked about edmund sumner um said if he well, well so i would i mean quickly here on, on the savonis trade we got asked on locker room about miles turner being traded to toronto potentially or just being taken into cap space but i would certainly offer sabonis to toronto for pascal siakam or og ananobi and see if they would bite toronto really needs a center so and siakam or ananobi would be a much better fit next to turner and warren warren certainly is fully capable of playing the three as well as the i actually think the three is warren's best position personally but so sorry to interrupt there why, why don't we move on oh, no that was something um, that occurred to me yeah so at general mill asked about edmund sumner if he can consistently knock down threes um what is he look solid and so I, I like Sumner too um we talked about a little bit in the last 1560 but so since the all-star break Sumner started about half the time making 43 percent of his threes and I I think how many him, how many threes what's his uh his rate there for the post all-star so like how taking, many threes is he taking he's taking about two a game so okay. not a, yeah not a, not so a in like 20 minutes or whatever so yeah that's not yeah. a huge number not Probably a huge like number four per 36 minutes or something like that yeah and and so I think of Sumner as a piece in the rotation who might end up starting at times, but you probably don't want him starting it. And that's, I mean, for for what he's for what they're paying him and everything else, I think that's a good place to be. And what I find interesting about him and Levert is that you could theoretically, like, I think if you have those two, kind of you envision it as those two are your two guards, maybe you slide him a little bit beyond that, is... 
having, you know, we've talked about the value of Levert being somebody who can soak up possessions when your best offensive players aren't on the floor, is you could go to an approach where Sumner plays more with the starters than the average backup, and Levert plays more with the reserves than the average starter. Like, you could go with that sort of an approach, and I think that could work reasonably well. Yeah, and he'd still have to up his volume a little bit, and you still would like him to be able to do more as a slasher and creator to at least maybe because if you're playing the two you need to be able to do at least a secondary pick and roll you'd like to be able to hit a, a three not just that's open but maybe boost his rate a little bit but obviously the defense is really good uh, and his ability to push the pace and transition is really good so yeah he's an, an exciting player and the offense is still gonna have to get better for him to be a, a starter but that's also not something that he needs to be on this team necessarily and i like his versatility to come in and guard either guard position and so he can fit next to brogdon he could fit next to holiday he can fit next to mcconnell maybe although you'd like to have more shooting there but the, the mcconnell thing is nice because both those guys really will push the pace so he's got some versatility i think he could be a solid bench piece for them for some time we got similar questions from nate westerman on discord and tommy flag on twitter about basically like is a healthy version of this pacers team worth holding out for um is there a path to winning a first round series without major reshuffling and to kind of answer both of those in one shot i would argue that this pacers team i i'd be open to running it back depending on what the offers are but i also don't i wouldn't expect them to win a first round series like it's possible they're not they're not like a one and out like the criticism that i've levied at a couple of teams like they would have a chance i think that people like yeah they got swept out by the heat last year but i think that they have the talent to be a better team and there are ways to ways to restructure but their ceiling with that group is relatively low and that's a part of the reason why I would be listening on Sabonis, be listening to an extent on Miles Turner and some of these other ones, just because for me, speaking to my own personal basketball ethos, I would rather shift it a little bit than be like the sixth seed and have a 30 to 40% chance of winning in the first round. That's just not something I value as much as some owners. Yeah, I guess it's just the the lack of an alternate path is a little bit of a a problem for me with this team because they don't have a superstar. I mean, yeah, all right, if you traded off literally everything on the roster, then but then you're going to probably go into kind of like the Bulls, right, where you're five years to even get back to where you were, and the Bulls are kind of a worse version of what they were in 2017. Now, Um, the Pacers, I think, could be better than that. They we also just haven't seen this team fully together, which is a, a disappointment, right? Like I did at least like to know what they are before you start selling everything off and maybe moving again i think moving sabonis makes the most sense for these guys which could could be a kind of a middle path between the the two but i think this team yeah you know 30 to 40 percent chance of winning a a first round series i think they're a team that if they'd been fully healthy this year with warren and everyone else and and if they've been able to get levert going right when they made the trade then you know i think they could have been right in the mix even for the four seed and they got the four seed last year i think that there's some teams in the east are coming up some teams are are like toronto or maybe on the downswing a little bit so they could and i'd like to see if bjorkren changes their fate at all in the playoffs. part of the problem with the way this team is built though is and this is the case with most of these ensemble casts is an injury to your fifth best guy or your sixth best guy or your third best guy is so much more damaging for the ensemble cast type of team than it is for the team that's built more around stars it's a great point 
and and so yeah you're they probably are always your odds are that probably one of your top five guys is always going to be injured going into the playoffs and if you're like hey we can't compete without one of these top five guys that that's a little bit more of a problem that's probably a, a part part of the reason why we haven't seen as many of these ensemble casts win it because they are more reliant on just being at absolute full health you know the, or at least they're very and that's part of what if you look at the jazz right when they have guys out things really go downhill they're the jazz are kind of the elite version of what you would hope to get and the pacers don't have anyone as good as rudy gobert or donovan mitchell to be clear but that the jazz maybe are kind of the hopeful archetype for this pacers team eventually but the jazz have been incredibly healthy this year that's what why they've been so successful in part you want to get to miami yeah, let's do it. The Heat are 32 and 29, 6 and 5 since the last 1560. Still a negative net rating, negative 0.7, 23rd in offense, and as you said, a stronger defense, 6th overall. 538 projects them to finish with 38 wins, which would be tied for 6th in the Eastern Conference. And they're almost definitely going to make the playoffs, not all the way there yet. And I think we can start with this one from at Ricky Clark. What is the what are the biggest differences between Miami this year and Bubble Miami? Uh, what has to happen for them to go back to the finals? Yeah, the biggest difference is that Bubble Miami just hit a ton of shots. Uh, and then also that they had an all-star point guard playing for him. Named That's Warren the Dragic. biggest one to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, this came up when we did our point guard rankings early, uh, during last week that I just, Dragic hasn't looked quite the same to me. And I think that is a a very real concern. And Miami has other capable creators. Like that, it's an interesting part of their team is that, you know, Jimmy can do some stuff and none and Hero has done less than you hope. But also, yeah, they, they have a lot of good shooters, many great shooters, but they were hitting them at ridiculous clips last year and so the it's it's sort of the expected value problem so they can do that they are capable of it but do you expect Miami to to accomplish that and also you know now Trevor Reza potentially coming into an alternate version of the Jay Crowder thing for most of this year they didn't have the same level of defensive versatility because they didn't have the same level of personnel yeah I I think like defensively they're where they need to be and again I've been encouraged by the way they've played with Ariza in the lineup as we talked about earlier in the show and he's given them at least somewhat of a facsimile of that switchable stretch four that they were missing with Crowder last year or or missing this year uh, I should say but so many guys were above their established levels in the bubble hero is another one who he's shooting 33 percent for three this year he's 40 percent last year and he was pretty nasty in the bubble as well even Duncan Robinson and has fallen off a, a little bit jimmy butler if anything has been better this regular season than he was last year but that hasn't necessarily been enough and bam has been better i would say uh, certainly offensively this year but everyone else really uh, is worse and so you always wonder if they could catch lightning in a bottle again but uh, and so that's why i'm not going to write them off in series even against really good teams when they've done that before but there are just so many differences from last year and so many things had to go right last year that and that would include the Gordon Hayward injury in the Boston series and winning some close games in the box even though they clearly way outplayed the Bucks. the Bucks were not really themselves I don't think in the bubble due to a number of reasons so uh what else we got here on Miami you can do this. Oh, this is a good one here. Go ahead. D- uh, D- Dos Minutos, uh, always a friend of the program on Twitter. We, we appreciate you. Uh, what are the odds that Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero both start next season on the Heat's roster? Are we doing this as an official one, aka do I have to open the document? I think we should. I think this will be a fun one. Let's do it. I can open the document. I already did. I'm there. Um, <laughs> but I'll let you answer while I type it in. Oh, man. Okay. So... 
Robinson would seem the more likely of the two to not be on the team next year. It seems like they value Hero more. Hero still seems like he closes more games than Robinson's, uh, although I don't have that data exactly in front of me. When I've watched them, it still seems like they've gone more that direction. And there was that report about uh, the team being a little concerned about uh, Hero's off-the-court antics. Robinson could just get some completely batshit offer, though. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure what team would do that maybe it's because the heat also have issues with the salary structure that kendrick nunn who's uh probably been their best guard over the last few weeks uh he now is going to be going into restricted free agency as well and i mean they may i, I think they will certainly be loath to bring back dragic on his team option at 18 million maybe they'll try to re-sign him for a lower number but they are and oladipo that hasn't really worked out so they, they do kind of need more creation in the backcourt so you could maybe it would be possible that a team might engage them in sign and trade talks for robinson and give him a big contract and then maybe throw them a, a pick or something and that might enable robinson to not be there i still think it's pretty likely that they're both going to stick around and robinson has that he's going to hit the starter criteria but he still his cap holds only like 4.7 million so he has value to the heat because they can keep him around in that cap hold use their cap space and then bring him back as well uh, although if they do that they could run into some long-term salary issues potentially also but i would still say it's a solid 80 percent that they're both on the team I'm going to go 90%. I think that Hero, it seems pretty clear. I mean, th- this is the group that drafted him, that they believe he he's he had that success in the bubble. I also think that yeah. Hero's limitations this year might lead to them, the Heat front office, valuing him more than everybody else, which often leads to a guy sticking around. And with Robinson, they it, it's just hard for them to replace him. They want to be competitive in the short term. And yeah, Mickey Erson's probably not going to want to go into the tax with this team, but the combination of a relatively low cap hold and being able to retain him, like I could see Robinson starting the year and then maybe they eventually trade him on this contract i think i think they're both on the to start the year northern hoops uh, asks uh he says they thought they're out of their depth making the heat were out of their depth is making as far as they did in last year's playoffs but you seem to really believe in them why do you see their playoff run as legitimate compared to the blazers run to the western conference finals in 2019 so a, a number of reasons number one just the the heat have better coaching they have more defensive versatility than that blazers group did but most importantly they beat real team and, they, and they didn't get they didn't get swept in the conference finals they made it to the nba finals and then they probably i, I bet they would have taken the lakers to seven if they hadn't gotten had as many guys get hurt as they did uh right at the beginning so, and they so, just have a bunch of guys who are difficult matchup problems they play a style that's difficult to match up against and you know they beat one of the all-time best regular season teams in the playoffs like handily as opposed to beating the rust thunder and a playoff neophyte team in denver people remember that before that postseason started you and i went a little bit nuts because the basically the three best teams in the western conference that year were all on the same side of the bracket it was not portland side of the bracket whereas miami took on all comers and beat all of them until the lakers like i mean they were out playing the bucks before Giannis got hurt they beat the celtics and yeah the celtics were a little bit shorthanded but that you know they still played extremely well in that series they beat a shorthanded pacers team handily and it's also the as you mentioned the conceptual ceiling like miami is a very versatile defensive team they have a lot of really good shooters even if they were making them at an inordinately high rate then so no i mean the blazers if you if you want to make that the comparison like the blazers never had this defensive ceiling and it's just it's just not the way not the way they're constructed 
constructed the talent that they have yeah they, they lucked into a couple of matchups where they could play their conventional pick and roll defense style and not get completely killed if they had to go against like this year's denver before jamal mcmurray got hurt i don't think that team could have could have beaten this year's denver and quickly from the discord is this season a black mark for Spolstra, or is it more so a reflection of the limitations of the impact of even the best coaches? I think defensively, to have gotten as much out of this team as they have is pretty good. And it's not Eric Spolstra's fault that Duncan Robinson is making 39% of his threes instead of 44% this year. And it's not his fault that they didn't have any kind of a stretch for I mean, they haven't really been that far below this year where they were last year, particularly when in the regular season, particularly when you consider the injuries. And, you know, we've still seen Bam Adebayo develop uh, as well Kendrick Nunn is playing better for them but they've just had so many guys in and out of the lineup and just so many limitations when it comes to the four position offensively and they just haven't really had good initiators from the perimeter and so no I I don't put this on Spolstra I will the one thing I will say is it does seem like the offense the cutting just hasn't flowed as well they you just you kind of have like this pause before they get into the next action in a way that maybe they didn't last year in the playoffs but I I do really hesitate to draw huge conclusions from this year because it's so fucked uh and so no I I I think that uh I still think just as highly of Spo in fact I mean Hollinger had him number one in the NBA and what did I have him I think I had him number two overall yeah i had a number two but in tier one uh so no i guess i don't see it as a black mark uh should we move on here to the milwaukee bucks we should uh the bucks are 37 and 22 five and five since the last 15 60 they are fourth in net rating plus 6.3 um they're fifth in offense ninth in defense and 538 projects them as we were talking about before to be tied for second in the east with the nets which is which is wild when you think about all the ramifications of that um and they're of course going to make the playoffs and there are a bunch of different different kind of grounds to go on this one um but i'll we'll start briefly with this one from at arthur cash um why do people keep blaming the bucks playoff failures on Budenholzer's coaching when they have a number one option who doesn't have the skill set for deep playoff runs and for me it's because the playoffs are all about modifications and and like being able to being able to handle what comes and what was very frustrating about the bucks last year was a reflection of Budenholzer not seeing where the league was going and not training his team and then not adjusting early enough and they weren't they weren't trying different stuff they weren't going to the switching stuff they weren't going to anything really until Giannis got hurt and it was juxtaposed with Spolstra who was doing all of these different things and trying to maximize his talent and so yes Giannis's limitations are an important consideration I, I think that it's important not to discount that but the frustration was that somebody else who who thought about things differently could have gotten more could have gotten more versatility out of the same personnel well I'll I will say that I think I pretty consistently have said that the number one reason that the Bucks have failed the last two years has been that Giannis hasn't played that 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 to me has been number one and that he has not been as good as he was in the regular season and part of that is missing free throws and part of that is missing jumpers and part of it a little bit was getting hurt although that series was pretty much over already by that point last year and part but part, part of it is the clutch failings and part of it is not being able to pass well enough out of double teams and not having enough moves or, or different ways to score transition not being as effective so a lot of that is just not only has Giannis just underperformed but also that some of his stylings don't work as well in the playoffs and maybe that'll change a little bit this year with some more talent around him and being used as a role man more and shooting free throws better we hope 
So I, I I agree with everything you said about Bud and but I do think that Giannis uh, just not being as good as he was not being the best player in the playoffs the way he was the best player in the regular season it was their their biggest issue. Um, Kevin asks, it seems like a lot of people are critical of drop pick and roll coverage being fine in the regular season but punished in the playoffs. But what are the alternatives if you don't have a big who really moves well in space like AD or Bam and yeah, that's part of why it, we it's tough to be super high on teams that are that don't have that defensive versatility. It's part of why I've been lower on Jokic and maybe even lower on Embiid than some as well as truly being able to win a championship with those guys. Now Embiid does have a little bit more mobility to me, and they're not they're not going to have to play Steph Curry. They are going to have to play maybe a full strength Nets team. We'll see. Uh, now if Philly and the Bucks go up against each other then you know if if uh the bucks are able to get by the nets say if that's the the bracket then that's not going to matter as much neither team really is going to punish too badly uh an under or, or an under pick and roll coverage or conventional pick and roll coverage but the uh, the reason why i thought the pj tucker trade was so big for the bucks was like he actually does give them that versatility and I've been very disappointed at how little Tucker has played. I think he and Giannis together with no big, like Tucker has played, you know, like 120 minutes or something. Schumann had this stat. But out of those, basically only 10 have been him and Giannis and no other center. And that's part of why we were critical of them against the Suns as well, where, hey, you got to get as many minutes. You know what it looks like with Brooke Lopez and Giannis out there. They need as many minutes as possible with Tucker and Giannis together to, to practice that and see how it looks. Um, so I really want to see a lot more of that, but I do think that has a potential in a way that they just haven't, they, they kind of had that with Marvin Williams last year, but I, I don't think Williams is as good of a defender as Tucker, obviously a better offensive player, uh, as far as, uh, his ability to make the three, uh, what else do you want to take care of? You want to do like a little lightning round here? We got like, yeah, we, we, we got there. a lot of Bobby Portis questions and, um, he's having, he's having a much better, a much better year. This is easily Portis's best season, 61% true shooting. He's been, I mean, Will he shoot 40% on threes forever? We'll have to see. And something I think is really interesting is there would be like, oh, can he play in the playoffs is the numbers with Portis on the floor defensively have been much better than anticipated. However, I, I took a look. I was actually looking at this for something unrelated earlier in the week. And when Portis plays with Giannis, the defensive numbers have been excellent. And when he plays with anybody else, it's been a lot worse. And when you think about the role that Giannis has there, and that gets into the fundamental question, which is, can those limitations are going to come to the forefront more often in the playoffs because you can specifically plan for opponents? So I do think he will be in the rotation, but, and, and this season has been encouraging and I'm, I'm really happy for Portis that it has gone so well, but I'm going to need to see it in the playoffs before I fully believe. Yeah, it's just, it's so easy to dial something up to attack him defensively. And he just doesn't really have a position that he can guard adequately. He's too slow for the perimeter, can't get off the ground, doesn't really protect the rim defensively. But I certainly give him a lot of credit for being a very, very good offensive big man this regular season. What else we got here? At Aaron Cantor asked about, uh, said, I think Drew Holiday will cook in a Bucks net series. What do you think? I agree. I think that offensively he'll be able to get something going. It, I wonder, that to me is a matchup where Bruce Brown could end up being very intriguing. Just do you just throw him on, run some, run some different stuff. But I, I think he'll do well, but I don't know that like he'll be like the best. If he's the best offensive player for the Bucks in that series, I don't know if that gets them close enough. You know, it, it, they'll of course have more than a puncher's chance against the Nets, but like that is to me like while it's like yes, he could cook in that series. It's a little reminder of how that series might go. 
God, I hope that series happens at full strength. That I'm going to have more anticipation for that series than I will have had for a series in a long time. Like that is really going to be such a contrast. I think that series is actually going to be really close if it happens because the books, the Bucks are just going to be able to run it. They're going to control the boards. I think that they have not quite as much explosive offensive potential as the Nets, but they're also much better defensively. And the Nets don't really have anyone to guard Giannis, and it's it's going to be I I. I just i'm so excited to see if that happens let's get to the now 34 and 27 new york knicks they are nine and two since the last 15 and 60 but all nine of those wins have come in a row plus 2.1 net rating the offense stratospheric now up to 21st which given where it was for a lot of the year they've actually been around average for quite some time now what are you gonna say no i was just gonna say they've been hitting a ton of shots recently yes that that is true uh and they remain third in defense uh, kevin pelton pointed this out which i thought was a good thing to relay if you haven't heard it that basically since the Derek rose trade they actually really have been defending even with given the opponent's shot quality at about the the level of the third ranked defense when early on that was really reliant on uh, un sustainably bad opponent shot making so uh they are projected to tie for sixth right now i think it's pretty much impossible they wouldn't at least be in the top eight uh, although they do have a very difficult remaining schedule uh 88 chance of the playoffs per elo 97 or i'm sorry 97 elo 88 raptor so uh the watfo where i think like I gave him 15% chance and you gave him 10 or something. That's uh, it's looking pretty dicey uh, so far here. But let's get into some of these questions about the New York Knickerbockers. Can start with this one from Daniel. Who is the most, so when people say best, I'm going to say who is the most desirable, reasonable first round matchup for the Knicks? So let's say for the sake of argument that they can't finish better than fourth. And I think that's totally reasonable. So I guess the argument will be kind of who could they face in the four or five that would be the best matchup for them. Yeah, and a similar question from uh, Garrett, uh, would they be facing? in a playoff series against any of Boston, Miami, or Atlanta? I would say no, certainly not in these quarters, uh, even if they did have home court. Uh, now, if there are injuries with those teams, then that changes quite a bit. And the Knicks are young enough, they're probably less likely to have injuries than those other teams. They've been healthier than those other teams all season. But the the best one, I mean, if they somehow go up against the Hornets, I mean, that would be great for them. Uh, but out of Boston, Miami, or Atlanta, I think Atlanta would be the one that I would be most interested in facing, particularly with Young coming off this ankle injury and kind of being banged up. Well, and remember that, bit. like Miami, they have really good three-point shooters. So if the Knicks aren't, if the Knicks are giving up those threes, they're going to be the guys who can make them. I think that could potentially be a problem. But I, I talked about this with Feldman a fair amount, and my concern with the Knicks in the playoffs is more offensive than defensive. And so that's also why I think Miami would be a really tough matchup for them, is because Miami can well, yeah sh- can turn the spigot off a lot more a lot more than maybe those other teams can. Well, here's another one too, and that you know Tom Thibodeau typically has done poorly in the playoffs. As as a coach and i think his teams other than 2013 have underperformed and the knicks play a very drop back style we saw for example when pj washington made uh five three-pointers in the first quarter as a pick and pop center and taj gibson and nerland noel are just hanging back at the rim the knicks do close off the rim pretty well but miami boston they're not as reliant on getting to the rim even atlanta has pretty good shooting these days uh, but I, I think the knicks would be better against atlanta because trey young isn't really shooting the three that much off the dribble anymore and atlanta doesn't have like that devastating pick and 
popping. I guess it, Collins to some extent, but he's going to be guarded by the four, so that's not as much of an issue. Uh, you know, I think against Kemba Walker, for example, could cause real problems for the Knicks' defensive scheme and. I think Atlanta, their defense isn't good enough to really cause problems for the Knicks offense. And Atlanta also doesn't really have a great option to guard Julius Randle. Maybe that would be Capella and they'd put Collins on the center and and that could make things better. Uh, Miami, I think they have a pretty good system. We've seen that Miami can be very good at closing off the rim the way they were against the Bucs last year. I mean, Boston, you know, is it Grant Williams? Like they don't, they kind of have, you know, smaller combo forward types. They don't have a great matchup for Randall necessarily uh but the Knicks spacing is so bad that a lot of what Randall is doing is you know stepping back for jumpers so if you put Jalen Brown on him he can kind of deal with that aspect and then you get help at the rim to deal with the the power um so that's I guess that's about all I've got on those matchups but I think I'd give him a pretty good chance against Atlanta not so much against a Boston or Miami particularly too when you consider Brad Stevens and Eric Spolstra or Nate McMillan as a playoff coach going up against Thibodeau that that to me is a big part of this too a question from Kamal Nassim or Naeem sorry I thought there was an S there um what should Knicks fans be hopeful for it's been quite exciting but not sure how it's going to play out I think what Knicks fans should be hopeful for is that they don't have bad money on their books and a lot of what they have done, you know, the, the fundamentals of their defense, protecting the rim and Julius Randle's development, those things you can build on. And then they can improve Leon Rose in the front office. They can improve their personnel given that paradigm, given that structure over time. So for this year, I mean, this year is you should be playing hopeful because they've been really, really good. And when you think about getting 48 good minutes at center and ideally adding some more spacing and maybe somebody who's more dynamic on the ball than Alfred Payton, like the Knicks have building blocks to become to become good from here. Now, you and I are skeptical of different parts of it, but when you look at what's set and what's not set, I think that there are ways to make this a lot better even than what they've been so far. Um, This is an interesting one from uh, Anthony D. He says, either your ranking on New York's players is too low or Nate and John's coach ranking for Tom Thibodeau is too low. They can't all be mediocre or worse considering that they're a top 10 net rated team. Uh, and so I had Randall as the number five power forward. Danny had him lower. He had Danny had Noel higher as a center. Now, I think the important thing to remember here is because Thibodeau is going to be up there for my in my coach of the year rankings, right? So if you want to talk about just the job that's been done this year, you would have to say he's probably top five now in this regular season. But keep in mind that the criteria for John and I was who would we want to hire right now to coach our our team for the next four years? I don't think Thibodeau has been good in the playoffs. There's obviously the issues with the minutes and getting along with the front office so that's all a a big part of this and it so happens that he's kind of more hand-picked and they got all the CAA connection kumbaya there now so that hopefully will the front office aspect will be better but when you're talking about what happened in Minnesota and Chicago there was obviously tension there on both uh both of those stops so it's really more about the long term with Tibbs I think if you're like who do I want to come in and coach these guys up for one year to get better especially if you're a mediocre team he he would be higher in the rankings so um that's part of it and the other part is that this team has a lot of good depth and so that and they play good defense they don't really have any defensive liabilities out there who play either and so I think this is something that comes up a lot some with the Pacers as well when we were lower on Sabonis they're like hey they got Sabonis like he must be really awesome they're the number four seed in the east it's like well no it's actually there's they have a lot of other good players who are helping out too and so that's part of it particularly defensively yeah that's definitely true and we can do this one from uh, Daco Carter in what ways can his 
New York Knicks improve or upgrade next year? And I brought this up a little bit in the hopeful part, but one is potentially starting Emmanuel quickly or getting another point guard who also makes sense with the Randall Barrett duo. And that could potentially be Conley. It could be Dinwiddie's kind of interesting depending on how they want to structure it, but then adding more depth on the wing, you know, at the kind of the two, three spots and getting players who can shoot and ideally can defend enough. I think they have the defensive foundation. So to me, using resources they have cap space they have other things to go after players in in those molds whether that's i don't know if it's gary trent or if it's it'd be interesting to see if they go after like will barton or Danny green but basically there are a lot of players who can improve their spacing like it's it's and they can get 48 good minutes at center i mean mitchell robinson pretty decent chance that he's a part of that they could also trade him but whether that's re-signing nerlands or going after somebody else i mean they they did a really nice job this offseason identifying centers that fit with what Tibbs wanted to do. And there aren't an infinite number of those players, but there are enough that the Knicks should be able to make it happen, especially because they have a ton of cap space. So if they if they wanted to get as good as they could next year, this would be my formula. Sign Cal Lowry in free agency. Uh, yes, he's old, but also just a great fit with what they want to do. They've Because they've also got Barrett, who they still want to develop. They've got Randall to do some initiation. So I don't know that they need like a ball-dominant pick-and-roll point guard, but Lowry will fit right in, obviously, with what Tibbs wants to do defensively he can shoot off the ball they got 50 million in cap space they got plenty of money to sign him to like a big you know two years 60 million or something for Kyle Lowry and then I would try to make a trade with the rest of my cap space not send anything back for Miles Turner who would be an unbelievable fit both in Tibbs system protecting the rim uh maybe uh Mitchell Robinson could be part of that deal going back they also They've have a bunch of draft picks, picks from, from the Dallas. Mavericks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, maybe it wouldn't have to be that much, but they could do a lopsided trade in terms of salary, which I'm sure the the Pacers might appreciate. And then he could help space the floor. So now trading uh, Nerlens Noel spacing for Miles Turner and Alfred Payton's for Cal Lowry, and now you got all this room for Randall to work and his ISO game. Like he hasn't really been able to bull his way to the rim nearly as much. He's been relying a lot on that step back, but now you throw in the step back and the ability to blow got by guys with some spacing or bully guys into the rim and i think this you could be looking all of a sudden at an above average offensive team and a team that's still going to be at the top of the league in defense and now you're cooking with something to get you know be like a real home court advantage type of team in the east even if maybe not a, a contender for the east championship so that would be my formula uh i know he went long on that one so let's uh move on to the orlando magic 18 and 41 one and nine since the last 15 and 60 negative 7.6 net rating 29th on offense 22nd on defense that's starting to fall a, a little bit uh they project for tied for 14th 22 wins in the east and i think we should start here with the news that steve clifford has tested positive for the coronavirus he remains asymptomatic he said that he, he tested positive about a week after getting the second dose of the vaccine so his immunity wouldn't have kicked in fully but certainly you would expect it to be pretty good now I mean, part of the vaccine is it does it helps you not get the virus to be sure, but it also reduces your symptoms and chance of hospitalization. I mean, that's where it's really unbelievable. Uh, and part of why there's so much of an, of an issue of COVID, if is because you might have like really bad health consequences from it, especially if you're older. And so hopefully he will avoid those. Apparently he's still asymptomatic, but and he's just going to have to get tested. And then when he doesn't test positive anymore, uh, he'll be able to return. But so so that's uh, hopefully 
hopefully he's going to be fine in part because he's partially vaccinated already let's get to some of these questions here though let's start with this one uh from the discord uh june bugocon that is i'm sure a complete butchering i'm sorry about that uh, what are the odds? This doesn't have to be an official one, Danny. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> on Orlando offering a max deal to John Collins. I don't think of it as insanely likely. I mean, the the Magic could go aggressively for this year if they really wanted to kind of wipe to wipe everything away. But I think they're looking more at 22-23 when they understand what they have in Isaac and Fultz and everybody else. And so I think it's yeah, relatively... They didn't low. sign John Isaac to a $20 million a year contract to also sign John Collins. And Carter has been decent for them too. I mean, maybe you say you wanted to play like you don't want to play Isaac at the three and you'd say we're going to play Collins at the five that's probably not going to work defensively so I, I would say the odds are extremely low do, yeah, do you if, agree on that I, I do I do agree on that um can do this one from Matthew oh, oh well here Twitter. there's oh, also there's also this too I mean their cap space if you throw in uh, their draft picks which we project to be fourth and then ninth from the Bulls right now, they don't really have any cap space at all at that point. So they did move some off the books with uh, not having to re-sign Fournier now next year. But no, I think they kind of have their team. I mean, they might go for the mid-level next year, but that, that's probably about it. Uh, so they yeah. wouldn't have the space unless they really offloaded a bunch of stuff uh, anyway. Um, the, the 22 offseason, they will have $55 million in space when you've got Gary Harris coming off of, of the books and, and some of their rookies uh like mo bamba for example might he could potentially be moving on at that point can go to this one from matthew on twitter um would you say that wendell carter is playing the best basketball his career in orlando and i would say yes i mean we're we're dealing with small sample here he's played like less than 400 minutes in orlando so far but carter has been he's been efficient i mean 62 percent on twos it hasn't been the three-pointer that's really been pushing up getting to the foul line a fair amount i mean about the same rate as he was in as he was in chicago before this and i would say carter's looked better defensively zach Lowe talked about this in his piece on Friday and so I mean you you could look I don't think it's like dramatically to me better like I don't think he's a whole new guy compared to the best moments with the Bulls which mostly incidentally were not this season but I would say this is the best I've seen him play yeah probably the best thing about Carter that's exciting is his finishing around the rim has been better 50 out of 66 around the basket and he's been able to get into the post a, a little bit too the thing that's still not amazing is the jump shot he's been he's 10 out of 26 seven on twos outside the paint which is pretty ugly and three pointers I mean he's basically taken like one a game uh and yeah defensively I think he's kind of been around he's at least been able to stay out of foul trouble a bit more he's just playing a little bit more aggressively that was a, a big problem for him in Chicago towards the end was he just didn't he was kind of floating out there he seemed to have lost confidence a little bit I think it's been good for him to get out here where he's just gonna knows that he's gonna play uh so is he gonna be yeah let's uh let's Let's ex, uh, extend this guy. Let's get really excited about him as our starting center. I, I wouldn't go that far, but I think he's shown that he can at least be a decent starting center. I, I wouldn't want to give him more than, you know, something in that kind of, that same type of range, which as a first round pick as high as he was, he probably wouldn't take, but that same kind of young center type of range of like the Thomas Bryant, Jakob Pertl, Ivica Zubac type of contract. You know, I think that seems like the sort of guy that he's headed towards being maybe. Uh, obviously there's a, a range between those guys let's see oh okay so from at zane bh uh if come draft night the magic are up and they have Suggs of gonzaga as the best available prospect should they draft him even though they already have two point guard prospects on the roster yes 
If you think he's the best player, especially because neither Markel Fultz nor Cole Anthony has like real star upside to me, like both those both those players, you're more optimistic on Cole Anthony than I am, but I don't think they have that that real level. If you think Jalen Suggs can be that guy and you think he has the best chance of being that guy of anybody that's available to you, you take them and you don't hesitate. Yeah, it's one thing if you've got a guy that you realistically think is going to be a top 10 player at his position or that you realistically think, especially when you're talking about the top five you realistically think has all-star potential i'm going to say markel fultz particularly coming off of acl and cole anthony i don't see that so yeah go go ahead and draft it your best player available there to be sure um ian holmes says if fultz and isaac return fully healthy next season and continue the upward curve which yeah maybe not the greatest odds of that but we'll we'll assume that for now and orlando has a top five pick and another top 10 pick and they make the playoffs next season having another top a top five pick and a top 10 pick that's probably almost a negative indicator for making the playoffs next season because those guys are going to play it's very very unlikely that those players are going to help you winning winning basketball i mean again we haven't jumped into this too much but maybe you'll get one or two players in the top 10 every year that are really going to help you win basketball games in this day and age when everyone being drafted is 19 so uh, can they make the playoffs yeah if you get those draft picks then you're not going to have cap space so it's going to be harder to upgrade their talent yeah it depends what position that player is uh, as well uh, or those players are i I should say but no i think i think they'll especially when you've just drafted two guys in the top 10 and then also the fact that isaac and fultz you know neither of those guys will be playing back-to-backs i'm sure next season they'll be getting plenty of rest and even the slightest tweak for either of them they're going to miss a bunch of time could they make the playoffs i mean maybe they could do it with an elite defense i don't see any way that they're going to be uh, unless they make some major personnel changes i mean they're going to be a bottom 10 offense and the the east isn't as soft anymore towards the bottom i would say either the bulls will be trying to make it next year i mean you'd really say probably of these east teams Cavs, pistons everyone else will probably be trying to make the playoffs next year right i mean that and them i mean the Cavs, pistons and them I, I would say will be the three and there's also i think some value in just continuing to develop guys and as long as they're gifting minutes to that number three pick and that number nine pick or whatever it is they're not gonna be any good uh, let's do one more on the magic here um, I, I like this one from from Gabriel Mickey on Twitter. Um, with no outgoing picks, some decent incoming ones, and a, a bad team that probably has no options but to tank in the next few years, is Orlando actually in a decent spot going forward? Yes, I think they are. Now, what is a challenge for them is that the Magic, to me, do not have the probably guys who would be top two players on a very good team. And so to get from here to there, which I would consider like that's really in a good spot, it's going to take drafting well, it's going to take some luck and everything else, but they are better positioned to bring in those players than other teams are. They also don't have a lot of bad money on their books. So it is far, far from certain. But I would definitely rather be here in terms of if the goal is to, like to build a team that can win a playoff series over at some point in the future. I'd rather be where they are now than where they were before. And a lot of teams are in worse spots than them for that specific goal. And last question, which I think is interesting. I just wanted to get to this one, even though we're running long on the magic, as we always do, of course, is the idea of whether they Steve Clifford is the right coach for this group going forward or not. And I, I would consider maybe moving on from him i forget what his contractual situation is this is is this his this is his fourth year in orlando or third year 
This is his third. Oh, yeah. So he probably has one more year left on his deal as a team option. I haven't heard anything about him getting an extension. I think he's going to just, he doesn't have the greatest developmental record, I would say. And he's a little bit, I don't think he's as bad as Thibodeau, for example. But he's got a little bit of that win at all costs. uh, And this team is in a different phase now than they were with the make the playoffs under Fuji. There's another reason why you might not want Clifford to be their coach. And that it seems like he's been a fairly consistent floor raiser. And if no exactly that's what i was starting to try to imply but i didn't say it as well as you just did and so if you you know he's improved teams defensively we've we've seen with that he's been able to get them to do well with limited personnel and if that's not what you want now you can say maybe it's instilling that foundation in guys like carter and bomba that there's there's a value in that and i i I could potentially agree but as you said in terms of overall development it hasn't been the greatest so this might be the right time to do it now you would need the right coach to come in and the magic especially to figure out what they're doing offensively it might take more time but remember i think there's a pretty decent chance that they're going to use at least one but maybe both of those high draft picks on players that are going to be the offensive foundation moving forward so having a coach who makes sense with that or who can mold them into the players that you want is exceedingly important yeah i think a more higher upside developmental coach would make some sense probably frankly would also be cheaper (laughs) for, for them which they probably wouldn't mind where they are right now let's get to the sixers now 39 and 21 five and five since last pitch in 60 but they've now lost four straight after Embiid was a late scratch with a shoulder issue in that showcase game yesterday against the Bucks that turned into a complete blowout they've been completely destroyed twice in a row by the Bucks but one was coming off a, a big overtime win or I can't remember it was overtime but it was, it was a grind of a game against the Suns and then yeah that was the Embiid in and out play right yes that, that was right before they played Milwaukee and then they played Milwaukee again so they weren't at anywhere close to full strength Ben Simmons has been out for a long time with an illness actually which is uh, surprising but not COVID apparently um hopefully it's nothing too serious uh, for him uh Harris is back now but he's kind of been in and out with the knee but as you mentioned their schedule is preposterously easy down the stretch so they're they're projected to get the one seed by two games over the Bucks and the Nets 48 wins as opposed to 46 they are uh seventh in the NBA now in net rating which is not you know for being the one seed in the east that's pretty low 15th on offense although when Embiid plays they are much much better than that uh and then fourth on defense they've kind of been pinging around with getting close to even being uh the number one defense at times they will of course be making the playoffs where do you want to start here Danny um, we can do this one from uh, Denkin Peen. Um, I He feels that the Sixers defense will continue to be deadly in the postseason because of the various schemes they've used and adjustments they've made. Do you agree or is there something missing? My concern with the Sixers defense, I, I do really like their personnel overall. I mean, remember, they've been playing this without Simmons. And depending on how much Doc wants to use Matisse Thibel, he can be incredibly destructive. But the problem for them is it's hard for the Sixers to be incredibly versatile when also keeping their best players on the floor. So they can, they can kind of do one or they can do the other but it's hard to do both and you know Simmons could be versatile but Embiid he's I really like him defensively but kind of need to do some drop maybe a little bit of hedge and recover and not going to do a ton of switching you don't want him to be that far away from the basket he's your rim protector so I think that against certain teams like this could be a circumstance kind of like we brought this up with the Blazers earlier where like if they face the right team I think that it could work really really well and if maybe in certain matchups you need to deploy Thibel more just to, to make that work but I don't think that they're great against everybody. I want to do this one asking about the Sixers transition defense 
and let me check the stats on that i will be honest that's not something that i've noticed a ton of is them just being bad at transition defense usually doc rivers teams really emphasize getting back in transition defense so it seems like teams when i'm looking at clean the glass teams are running on them a lot a 15.8 percent transition frequency per clean the glass is actually pretty high but they're not scoring at an incredibly high rate particularly off of live rebounds the sixers aren't aren't doing that so teams running on them a lot i mean one of the important and i haven't seen like a huge effort fly i admit that you know like we're we're watching each of these teams a little bit less than people who watch them more more regularly do they are 26th in the nba in terms of percentage of opponent uh plays in transition yeah but generally speaking remember in the playoffs teams just get back a little bit more so i don't think of it as extreme it's more the execution like the sacramento kings and some of these other teams that just like don't know what the hell they're doing that is a bigger problem than like guys getting back yeah i think that doc rivers is going to make sure that's less of an issue in the playoffs and Embiid, when when he goes to try to get one of his fouls or he'll fall down a lot or he tries to hit the offensive glass he is slow getting back we talked about how it's really getting your big men back that's so important i think the biggest team that that's a liability against is the milwaukee bucks because they love to run and if you don't have your big man back on one of those Giannis got grab and goes like you're just sunk like if he's going up against a couple of guards back there he's just going to euro step around them and score so they may just have to adjust their scheme a little bit not hit the offensive glass as much i i'm not that worried about it ultimately though i think i think that's when you're playing harder when you're more locked in in the playoffs particularly because i know that doc rivers massively emphasizes that in previous stops i think it'll be okay Here's one from Chadius Young. Um, would a trade of Kyrie for Ben Simmons make both teams better? And I don't love Simmons' fit on the Nets, mostly because they have other players who you would rather have the ball in their hands. Yeah. And well, well, he could just be the role man for. He them. could. I think that's what. And it he's be. and his defensive versatility court. But then that means you're probably. I mean, then what are you going to do with Claxton and some of these? Like you're, he's replacing a couple of different things. And the the transition impetus. I think in certain ways would help them, but like Kyrie gives, the, I think Kyrie takes less off the table in certain ways, and and I think that you can kind of bridge those gaps. You wouldn't have the two, you know, two good offensive players on the floor at all times. But I do think Kyrie on the Sixers, like I think that his fit with Embiid is better than Simmons, even though they would be lacking some defensive oomph that would be useful. Like you'd need to restructure the team a little. Yeah, Kyrie is way better than Simmons, but he's older and he's less healthy, and I do think that th- there's some thought that he's a, a better fit. But also, if you're talking about a Nets team going forward here having all three of those guys so that none of them has to do too much in the regular season is is kind of nice and just having the amount of spacing that the nets do around those three guys is pretty incredible so uh interesting thought i i it wouldn't i probably wouldn't do it if i were the nets i probably would do it if i were the six i mean I, obviously we got to see how the playoffs turn out this year too right if the nets it's just like it doesn't matter they got all three of those guys on this on the floor and the only better offense than the nets offense is whoever is going against the nets defense then maybe you would consider a, a trade like that and similarly if philly ends up losing in disappointing fashion and simmons doesn't do anything this year and they there's still this need for another perimeter creator uh because i mean Embiid now is kind of their guy at the end of games they found a way to get him involved at the end so does that keep working in the playoffs there's a lot of questions i'd like to see answered but it, it's a it's an idea that makes some sense let's do one more here and 
Is there any credence to the idea of a heliocentric offensive player versus a heliocentric defensive player? Um, and yeah, I think there is to some degree, and that's why centers are more valuable than perimeter players because a center on is defense. probably going to be involved. Yeah, yeah, on defense. Anytime a someone goes to the rim or anytime there's a pick and roll, the center is going to be involved in that. So he just a perimeter player who's awesome, you can just kind of keep him out of the action if you want to, or he's just only going to be so good as a help defender and modern offenses are just too good at screening and getting guys open to where you just really uh if you're talking about a guy who runs pick and rolls as opposed to an and even an iso guy who can just run a small a pick and roll with a smaller player it's just too hard to keep that guy on your best offensive player so yeah i think there is something to that uh and obviously teams we've seen the pacers do this we've seen the jazz do this we're like all right we're gonna press up on the three-point line and we're gonna funnel everything into our big guy uh yeah i mean i think there's you it's obviously always going to be different on defense because you still have to react to what the offense is doing you don't have that control of we're going to give the ball to this guy but uh, i think it's it's an important concept to note that certain players are can be involved especially if your scheme demands it more than others defensively to be sure and this is going to be a great year of whether those and this is kind of what um, Andrew got at a little bit in the later part of the question about whether those heliocentric defenses can work in the playoffs because some of those teams it could potentially be two number one seeds are going to face some different challenges and you don't want to read everything in on like three or four series or whatever it ends up being but we will get more information on that than we have had before which is good but we can move I think the the other thing that's interesting about that too though is this heliocentric defensive player he's usually that way because he's making up for the weaknesses of the other players Mm -hmm. and so like you know you get james harden you put a bunch of shooters around him you are complimenting what he does offensively whereas for a team like the jazz it's kind of the opposite right like you're relying on the star to make up for the weaknesses of these other players defensively as opposed to like you're not getting oh we need defensive role players to fit around rudy gobert it's like kind of the opposite of that almost well i think you could the counter to that would be some of the rockets players you know if we're talking the rockets with harden they had players that were better as play finishers than play initiators and so like that's maybe a little bit of a different compliment like that you could get players that are good at offense but good at different parts yeah, no, that's a that's a, a worthwhile distinction there. Let's get to the Raps. Raptors are 25 and 34, 6 and 5 since last 15 and 60. Still have a positive net rating. No team is underperforming their point differential more than the Raptors right now per cleaning the glass. Um, they're 15th in net rating, 13th in offense, 14th in defense, and still 538 projects them to finish with 31 wins, which would be 11th in the Eastern Conference. It would be one game behind the Wizards for that vaunted 10 spot to get into the play-in. 14% chance of making the playoffs per ELO, or per Raptor, 5% per ELO. And we could start with this one from um, from Shock, from Shaq. Um, a lot of the fan base is divided on Fred Van Vliet, the player. One side believes he's a great player that can be second or third best on a championship roster. Another believes he's wildly inconsistent and has bad shot selection. What camp do you fall in? And for me, the challenge with Van Vliet is that I don't trust him to be the lead guy in a successful offense. And he can be a valuable defender, especially in a team concept. I think that he was in their 2019 championship team. But as I don't think that that profiles as the second best player in a championship team. Maybe you can be the third if the one and two are really good. But I think that Van Vliet makes good and great teams better. But you need to have everybody, all of your other ducks in a row above him for him to be even close to maximum value. Yeah, you and I both had Van Vliet kind of in the 15 to 20 range among point guards. And yeah, he is a very 
very nice fit but he was a, a better fit when he was making 10 million dollars a year and starting the second half but not the first half in the nba finals than now because he does have these weaknesses of not being a, a great pick and roll player and particularly his scoring inside the arc is not great i'm not as worried about his shot selection or something that came up in the question because this raptors team doesn't have a ton of great shot creators and when you shoot pretty much exclusively from the outside and you're not good at getting to the rim or the foul line and finishing at the rim you're just going to go through more cold stretches that's going to happen so yeah if he's if you want to say that he's your number three offensive weapon he fits around those sorts of players very well right if you have Kawhi Leonard and you have Cal Lowry and you have Pascal Siakam I mean probably ideally you might even want to have him be your fourth offensive weapon but also then can be your backup point guard also I think he doesn't get enough credit for how much he pushes the pace and he's also just a a really good defensive player who can even switch despite his small stature just because he's so intense and he's so strong so yeah he's a really good role player but then you when someone like that is making 22 million a year then it becomes a little harder to build your team so that and that's something that you have to consider and that's part of why we do those point guard rankings and i mean now it's one thing if you already have all of these other guys around someone like van vliet and then you're re-signing him to go up to that level because you're already a championship contender you want to keep him around as opposed to now where they're kind of in the middle and you're trying to maybe add more talent but it's hard to do that now that 20 million dollars a year becomes uh, there are some expectations with that compared to say someone like brogdon or dinwiddie who is a better on ball guy and can help you push your offense up to average or maybe slightly above but also isn't going to be the off-ball shooter and defender uh, that van vliet is so it's really all the type of team and van vliet was much better on a team that was in championship contention as a role player than when he has to get moved up into a, a higher role so it's tough and I think that leads into this question from Ovo Karen, um, who believes that the Raptors have everything but a number one option. I think that is a reasonable assessment of where they are. If the goal is to find a player who can be that number one option, how should they approach the rest of the season draft and offseason? And it is a daunting proposition, because especially when you consider Toronto probably not going to get that player through free agency. And yes, it is true that they acquired a player like that through a trade before, but that trade was anomalous for a bunch of different reasons, a part of it being that the Spurs like that offer best. They didn't even have to include OG and Anobi. So broadly speaking, I think the the most reasonable path, the most like the one that is the most likely to do it would be through the draft. But the problem with that is timing. Because if you wanted to get a young star, you know, like get somebody who eventually can be that guy in the draft, it's going to take them three to four years. And by that point, Siakam is a different player. Van Vliet is a different player, not even on their current contracts necessarily. And the whole structure doesn't really make sense. And I don't think the Raptors are asset rich enough to like get that player via trade. So I think they're in a they're in a challenging situation here. Yeah, and there isn't anyone really on on, on the free agent market either. I, I mean, I, I I'm sure enough Raptors fans listening to this are, are sick of me talking about potentially bringing back DeRozan, but he's the best facsimile of that on ball creator that they might need. But at 31, we've kind of seen how it goes with him. They, I think they you can argue that they have more talent around him than they did previously if everyone is healthy but also keep in mind that if DeRozan comes in you're probably losing Lowry at that point Buddy Scott asked about this as well like who is the player that's worth renouncing Kyle Lowry for because they're really only gonna have cap space if they do that and just letting him go that's a that's a tough question I mean I guess the more I think about it if I were running the reps I might just try to go into just like 
crazy sell-off mode in between like Ananobi and Siakam and Van Vliet and maybe Boucher I mean could you come away with like five or six extra first-round draft picks from trading all those guys and depending on who it was to and and what the terms were would that be worth it to just totally bottom out here that's maybe uh, I, I just well and the also, other like the, again yeah the other big yeah. question is like does Kyle Lowry even want to come back because you're not renouncing his hold if he, I mean you are renouncing his hold functionally if he just doesn't want to be there anymore so you might not have you might I mean, have it would be nice for it would be nice for Kyle and maybe what the thought would be is hey we'll re-sign Kyle again to a number that he is amenable to and we could always just trade him again if we wanted to maybe the offers would be better next year especially if he's under contract for longer if we give him a two-year 50 million dollar deal or something like that or we can at least try to be better again next year and actually be in Toronto and let the home fans see Kyle Lowry in a Raptors uniform I mean this year it's just kind of miserable position to be in for Toronto because this year has just been so fucked in every way that it's just really hard to judge anything but i think we also know that the best ceiling for these guys as constituted even if they bring back lowry is kind of you know feisty second round playoff exit any of these other ones you want to do on them before we move to the whiz oh we got asked about options for starting center next year and it's not exactly the most inspiring slate when you think about a lot of the centers taking it maybe they could try to get somebody like rashawn holmes they could you know daniel tice would actually be kind of interesting there though they you know ken birch bring it back baby he's they've been good to some degree with him out there i mean I, obviously not having him <laughs> having him be the starter is a little uh little rich yeah. but he, i mean he but at yeah, least I would mean, give him quality backup play for cheap and i also the rap the raptors are going to you know they're going to have to sell whoever that center option is that they're going to be trying to be competitive because let's say rashawn holmes is comparing this is going to be a weird one but let's say he's comparing toronto and charlotte i think there's more of a chance that toronto tears it down than charlotte does so if he's committing let's say two or three years to the franchise i mean even though i would say the raptors are better run and all of that if they're gonna you know if there's a chance that you're going to be the center and they're going to have a lot of those players gone charlotte's going to keep their team together for another couple of years yeah i mean i think holmes given how little he's made in his career will just take whatever the highest contract is unless it's reasonable very very close i would think all right well there's another team danny that is absolutely molten right now the 26 and 33 washington wizards nine and two since the last 15 and 60 they have won seven straight and nine out of ten to move to a mere seven games under 500 if the season ended today the washington wizards would be in the coveted by ted leonsis 10th seed and the rest of their fundamentals 23rd in net rating negative 3.0 24th on offense still the defense has been driving a lot of their improvement lately up to 15th overall in defense and they have really been protecting the room a lot some of that is skewed by the fact that just their park effects in terms of where whoever logs the, the shot locations in their arena logs more shots as being just outside the paint floaters than in the paint but uh they're allowing a very low percentage at the rim and it still means something that they are preventing shots at the rim even if those numbers are a little bit skewed uh and they project to get the 10th seed now per 538 despite being like really low however still worth noting getting the 10th seed doesn't do a ton for you that's only 10 percent chance of the playoffs in raptor and 13 percent elo a lot of the questions relate to Russell Westbrook. I can use the Dominic Mayo one. Is one. Do you think Russell Westbrook is having an underrated season, averaging good numbers? And remember, I love. I went to college with Russell Westbrook. Advocated for for the MVP, MVP, but the answer is no. I, I think that he's count. He has ca- unbelievable counting stats. But yeah, okay, he's averaging twenty two points, eleven rebounds, and ten and eleven assists a game. But 
he's shooting 44% from the field. He's taking 19 shots per game. He's turning it over five times a game. And the most important thing is that the, the Wizards offense is not good when he's on the floor. Now, it's been worse than expected with Beal, and you can make an argument that the, like, you you called it the Ish Smith lineups where he plays with Ish Smith, Ish Smith or Ho Neto, that those are really problematic. But even in, if you take out, so this is something I looked at with Clean the Glass, if you take out the minutes that he played with either Ish or Neto, even including, so this is Russell Westbrook on those two guys off any other combination. So a lot of this includes Bradley Beal, 107 offensive rating. That's the 20th percentile in the entire league. And Westbrook, he can't be, he, he's not that, engine anymore and he's not the engine for efficient individual scoring and he's he hasn't been the engine for it and just is the case for him two years ago when he played with Paul George when you take away the second star the team's offense has gone off a cliff now both those teams you could argue oh they had limited offensive personnel and those guys were out that that OKC team you know Terrence Ferguson a lot of other guys but if Russell Westbrook is an above average point guard if he's even like a capable starting point guard he should be able to elevate teams like he did earlier in his career yeah and I've said I think if he could get his usage down into the low 20s it's just it's impossible to have that efficiency even with the quote-unquote Terry's been on recently seven points in true shooting below the league average and 31 percent usage I mean that's just it's not acceptable right like it's just so hard to overcome that Westbrook is also he's a really interesting player I, I looked at this briefly a, a couple days ago in terms of the way that those kind of you could call them the all-in-one models think about player values and it makes complete sense that Russell Westbrook would be somebody who really challenges those because of his incredible his incredible counting stats and everything else but so I'll, I'll, I'll walk through it briefly so if you go to real to, to ESPN's RPM Westbrook is he's 21st among point guards and he's only a slight negative in defense and then in offense he's plus 1.81 which is 16th in the league but then if you go to raptor westbrook is a negative on both ends of the floor he's more negative on defense than he is on offense and then if you go to epm estimated plus minus westbrook is a slight positive on offense and a slight negative on defense so it's interesting that all three of them see him i would say significantly differently I cracked up because we got questions um, on from from kind of both sides of the Scott Brooks equilibrium. So you had one that was basically like, well, is it is is it like the incompetence of the Wiz with Beal off the court? Is that due to Russell Westbrook as a player or due to Brooks insisting on playing him with zero spacing? And somebody else saying, is Scott Brooks doing a good coaching job or, or just like kind of lucky a talent? And I think overall, I mean, first of all, this comes up in the Russell Westbrook thing. For the whole, like the Wizards have the number twenty three net rating. They they are fifteenth in defense, which is which is far better than I would have anticipated with her talent but I think that in overall I think that Brooks has done you know he's done an okay job overall but I don't think he's done this unbelievable thing other and they've been better during this recent stretch but the whole year counts so I've not liked, you know, I think the the lineups that he has played at different times in the year, I was frustrated early on when they weren't playing Avdia more, when I thought he was better defensively and a little bit of bonga, though his offensive limitations are there. And it's been better recently, but I, I'm i not sold on Scott, on Scott Brooks being an NBA caliber coach. Yeah, more uh, on, uh, yeah, I mean, NBA caliber, I don't know, like he's not... Like if he were if he Jim were a coaching free if he were a coaching free agent right now I would hire somebody else and not him. Yeah, that's true. I, I think, but it would be hilarious if they make this run to the tenth seed or even somehow get into the eighth seed and end up bringing him back. Uh, Sam Stobbert says uh, Westbrook has been an incredible playmaker for them, scoring, rebounding, and tone setting. He seems to be completely overlooked by an ex- obsession with his bad jump shot. How is he less valuable than a twenty million dollar player according to your point guard rankings? So we've talked about him quite a bit, and I know you went on a long. Locally about him 
already but number one it's just you have a massive hard ceiling on your offense when it's not just the bad jump shot it's just the overall inefficiency and that part of that is that he's shooting 60 percent from the free throw line or 66 percent from the free throw line uh and part of it is that he not only that his jump shot is bad but he takes it a ton as well and so you're just even if you look at the way they've been doing it they've been doing it more defensively on this run also they've had a very very light schedule during this period as well so the whole year counts and then you look at when you're talking about him fitting in on other teams your offense is russell westbrook when he plays and so if you have a more efficient offensive creator he just doesn't really fit with that guy in some ways beal who is can work off ball a lot more and is also will take a lot of mid-rangers which don't really require a ton of spacing is an ideal partner for him but there aren't a lot of bradley bradley beals out there either and hey guess what the washington wizards are 24th in offense this year and they have bradley beal and i wouldn't say that the rest of their team is like so bad certainly Bertan's struggles are for a lot of the year were not anticipated but it's when you think of how many teams he would fit on there just aren't that many of them and even on the teams that he does fit on you got quite a ceiling on your offense because he's using so many possessions so inefficiently like the math just doesn't work out and on the math not working out point i think that it's it's useful to work through the math on this just very briefly from samuel's question he brought up like russell westbrook shooting the same percentage on field goal percentage than uh compared to trey young that's true russell westbrook is shooting 44 percent from the field trey young is shooting 43 however trey young is shooting more three-pointers than russell westbrook he also makes them more he's shooting fewer twos which both of them make less and he's getting to the free throw line more and he's making more of those free throws so yes they're like that it is it is great for you to show a demonstration of why field goal percentage is a bad way of measuring whether a player is an efficient offensive like an efficient offensive score because if that is if, if that is what you're going at kudos congratulations you did a great job of explaining it some of the potential trade options for bradley beal next season uh <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Warriors are out there. Obviously, James Wiseman's star has fallen considerably with a, a mediocre rookie year and the injury. Uh, so much of that depends on that where that Wolves pick falls or whether they now have it unprotected for next year and whether that uh, appeals to teams. Um, other than that, I mean, I think it, Miami has, uh, there's some potential there. Maybe it could be, other than that, you're kind of, there aren't really that many awesome assets around for good teams. Like a team like the Mavericks, for example, just doesn't really have much to trade. So among teams that are actually trying to be good um, next year. What about the Pelicans? Yeah. I mean, they don't have yeah, blue, they don't have they'd... blue chip picks. Is the problem? They have a lot of picks, but they don't have great ones. Yeah, I mean, I might be willing to move Brandon Ingram for for him, and then see how you end up equalizing that out. But Beal, I mean, he can be a free agent in twenty twenty two, so you damn well, damn well, better be somewhere that he wants to stay. Potentially, that really complicates it. His value is going to go down. Uh, you would think quite a bit because of there's only one year left and there are only certain teams that he would be interested in so you're not going to have like some league-wide bidding war i would think in the end but hey i mean they're going to make the 10th seed this year probably so uh you know no reason for bradley beal to leave right hey whatever he wants to do man all right that will do it for today a marathon 15 and 60 east mailbag thanks so much uh, for joining us i want to tell you all too as I mentioned right at the outset of the show, we have a free mailing list that's available. Now go to nateduncanmba.com slash free and you can sign up for that. You'll get a few things. We're going to put some of our chat transcripts on there. We're going to have daily or not daily, but uh, a free version once a week of our links 
that Ben does as a compliment to the 15 and 60 where he has uh, good articles to read about every teams in there you can of course keep up uh, on all the stuff that we are doing that's available for free you can also get things like some of the lists we have our top 20 players list that's going to be available on this free mailing list uh, our position rankings as well so you can get some free stuff and also just keep up with us uh, as well keep up on when our nba casts are, are going to be the schedules for that we're going to start doing that regularly again during the playoffs and speaking of the nba cast clippers pels 5 p.m pacific point zion eight eastern tomorrow point zion yeah i wonder who they're gonna have guard him that's gonna be fascinating uh all right that will do it for today and again that's uh nateduncanmba.com slash free just put your email address in and you can keep up with everything that's going on and get some free content at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply